This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And this is Jacob Brass with Longleaf Fertilia, and you are listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast, which is part of the Herpeticulture Network. Enjoy. This is episode 147 of the Herpeticulture Podcast, which is part of the Herpeticulture Network. Uh, we are brought to you by Steve Snakeshore and his Venom Hot Sauce. Grab some hot sauce, help Steve out. He does, uh, like we've said before a million times, um, relocations, rescues, removals, outreaches. public outreach, yep. all that good stuff. It and takes then unwanted snakes as well, unwanted pets. It, he does. Yep. It's also Jake's first show of the year because he was yeah. sick last week. Had the uh, had the vitties, but I'm back. Yep. Now Rock I'm probably gonna have it because he's right here next to me. No, nah, you're fine. <laughs> I'm not. Cont- I'm not contagious anymore. Um, but yeah. we are now sponsored by Black Box Cages, uh, Black Box Cages and Rack Systems. Yes, very very excited to bring them aboard the uh, the network train. Was, uh, I can. I honestly couldn't even tell you how excited I was when the when you brought it up to me. So, well, you have some of their racks. Yes, I do. I am a very, very big fan of Black Box. Black Box. Black Box. I, I was already going to be pretty much decking out my entire collection with their equipment, um, and now it's just going to be to a whole new level. So, yeah. cannot be more excited. I cannot recommend them more. They were already my go-to before. You know, anybody asked me about cages or racks, I always recommended black box they're absolute best systems i've had um don't have any cages yet but that is coming uh when me and justin make a trip out there yes here in the coming month or two fortunately they are i guess semi-local would that even count not really i mean i think in the reptile world you could call them local enough ways away it's not they're not local to our town but they are in driving distance it is a nice little road trip yeah, it's extremely boring of yeah. a road of a drive. We can we can usually make the best of it though. We have pretty yeah. pretty okay times on our road trips. Um, but yeah, super excited about it. Yeah. Um, please check them out, blackboxcages.com. Couldn't. Find them on Instagram and Facebook, even on TikTok now. Do um, not recommend them more, guys. Yeah, That's like I like I said last company. week or on Snakes and Stogies, we don't have people that are sponsors that we don't agree with or support you know product wise um and black box they i've been working for them for over a year now i think so yes i am biased but i'm biased because their cages and racks are awesome and i love them yes cannot cannot recommend more i don't work for black box i've had their stuff before they were a sponsor so i started with them completely unbiased i think they're fantastic and now yeah could not recommend them more. Best customer service you'll find also Damn in, Skippy. in the in the industry, like bar none. You'll you'll get a response right away. Lead times are great too. Yep. Um, lead times currently are about two weeks, which is easily as good as one of the get. best, you know, currently. And they're honest with you. If they're gonna be backed up, there's gonna be a problem, anything like that, they're honest, they'll let you know. They communicate very, very well. Communication. Yep. Communication is key, and they do a fantastic job of it. So, yes, please check them out. Uh, but we are so this is a 
Colonian episode. And we are joined by Mr. Anthony Pierleone uh, to talk about some turtles. So our, our very good friends, Dominique DeFalco and Andy Middleton, uh, I think visited you not that long ago. And yep. Dom was like, you guys got to have him on and, you know, you got to do an episode and talk about all the cool stuff he's got. And he's a really nice guy. And I was like, okay, yeah. And so we made it happen. And, you know, she's been, she's messaged me about it multiple times since. I think it was only a couple months ago that she was like, you got to make it happen. So I love it. I, yeah. She's, she's the best. I, I love this. I, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, I love your pronunciation of my last name and the word <laughs> colonian as well is, is extremely um, encouraging and an exciting way to start this off. And as I just, I'll just say as somebody who's done podcasts for a while myself, I, I love your energy. Both of you guys, like just thank you. Like, like we're here to, to just, chill out, have a good time. And like the pressure isn't there and all that sort of stuff. I feel myself always being like, like have to keep the audience, <laughs> to fill the dead air, have to fill the space. And like, it doesn't need to be that way. Yeah. yeah our audience already knows we're a bunch of losers. So we just, you, you said know, it, not me. It is uh, yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't <laughs> know if it that way, but uh, yeah, that's all right. Yeah. Can yeah, I ask yeah. a question about your sponsor? Yeah. About black box. So yeah. as somebody, you might not know this, but I, so I, I wrote an article uh, two years ago in the Batiger magazine, which is a, which is a turtle, a turtle publication that comes out for the turtle and tortoise preservation group once a year, like at their um, conference and for their members. Mm -hmm. um, really good information in that, but people don't know about it at all because it just goes out to the members and stuff. And then that stuff isn't published online, but I wrote an article that um, basically saying how sna um, snake racks have changed my life as a keeper and breeder because for a certain life stage, and I know this is something on the snake side as well, but for a certain life stage, having hatchling turtles in snake racks, for specific species, can be an absolute game changer in terms of husbandry and, and their health because you're providing such like dialed in temperatures, humidity, mm -hmm. and and the biggest killer of turtles is stress and stress-related stuff. And then them kind of picking on each other and stressing each other out when you keep them together. So when you have these hatchling racks that have all of these different tubs, it's it's a game changer. So so Bratz, I know you were talking about how you love their um, snake racks and keep them yourself. Why, why are they different than other snake racks as I am personally thinking about upgrading my snake rack situation for my hatchlings? Well, as far as the rat goes, number one, my probably my favorite thing about it is their the type of PVC they use. They actually use three quarter PVC versus most companies use half inch, and that three quarters mm -hmm. makes an incredible difference with yeah. durability. Really it's, heavy, it's, heavy duty. It is very, very. It's a very, very sturdy rack um, for one, um, and two. The tubs glide absolutely perfect. There's no Ooh. sticking, no nothing, because yeah, you know, if you use racks. You know, the worst rack is the one that gets the stuck tub and then you spill water all over the place. You can't. It's so bad. It. Yeah, absolutely. And as far as snakes go, it's also very good because the the gap between the top, mm -hmm. the, the top of the 
rack and then you know between the tub and the top is very minimal obviously it's big enough to have a good glide but small enough to keep in good snakes obviously with turtles doesn't make that's not going to make much of a difference yeah not really um but you know that that was a big thing for me i do for little tiny ones i do use um some little pushers that just shims to uh close that gap just because you know water snakes and little rat snakes can be very squirmy um but yeah, just the durability and the ease of use with the tubs. And I don't know, I could have just had the luck of the draw with the heat tape. I'm sure that has something to do with it, of the stretch they gave me, or I don't know if it's the rack or what, but this is this rack or these two racks are the most consistent, like te token. temperature wise, like as far as like consistency from the top to the bottom, I've always had almost a 10 degree difference from top <laughs> to bottom in any rack I've had. And it drives me up the freaking wall. Yeah, for yeah. some reason this it's like there's like a three degree difference from the top and the bottom and it's it's on point it's perfect wow that's um, really interesting uh, thanks for sharing that I, I i have the the temperature gradient in my racks and i you know the really young fragile animals are up at the top where it's warmer and then the yeah. stuff that's got some size on it or or is a species that can handle a little bit cooler temperatures they're down on the bottom yeah exactly. constantly playing musical tubs with them for, yeah, for yeah. The, you know it, it, it's so frustrating with some systems i know the 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 least amount of heat tape you can use the you know the less you'll get of the fluctuations but i have like i have an xr16 from them which has you know, has eight, eight different levels, you know, 16 slots to put three different size tubs. And, um, no, it's, it's solid all throughout of it. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that is, that is one of the big things with them too, is like the modularity of it. Yeah. So one rack will fit different size vision tubs. So you can get like the XR 20, which is what we both have coming within the next couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. You can do the v35s like 20 of those it's a v35s to be specific it's the v35 short and then what is it v18s it's the v18 and then v v15s. v15s so yeah. you can like you only have to have one rack and you can buy the tubs separate so you can start out as a hatchling rack and then as things grow you can just upgrade them to bigger tubs using the same rack so you don't have to continually buy a new rack for you know different life stages of things to make them fit um which i think is a really big deal uh and yeah. the for me the the smoothness and not having to worry about spilling water dishes anytime i have yeah. to open up open a tub yeah even on the very bottom on my v70 it's like a uh, six slot v70 rack mm. they're all just so it's smooth better. it's like yeah it's it's to not have to worry about spilling water and having to change bedding again and all that crap is mm. for me that's a very big deal like that makes yeah. a very big difference I'm telling you, the one of the biggest things for me is the PVC they use. I absolutely love the three quarter stuff because I have racks with half inch, and it's, I mean, you can just take the rack and go like this, and the whole mm. thing will just move kind of back and forth, and it's just right. it's not sturdy. But these, dude, solid, mm. just completely solid. It's awesome. And they also offer toe kicks and casters and all that mm -hmm. good stuff. And that's the other thing about black box, you know, racks aside with their cages, all the different stuff they offer, you know, you can get different light fixtures, UVB, you know, they offer all that. You can get a complete package right from them, you know, rocking and rolling. You know, it's, it's their, the stuff they offer is fantastic. All the different options and they make their own hides and shelves mm -hmm. and all kinds of stuff you can add. So. awesome thank you yeah yeah definitely give them a check them out give them a yeah. look um but that was actually something that we we are going to get into is like the that was something andy brought up was the the keeping uh, of, of turtles and racks and uh 
And yeah, we can go there more too. Like totally. Like I'm, yeah. I'm... But I mean, we like real quick before we get too deep. Right. Though, Do- no, real quick. Dominique told us to tell you to say hi. Yes. So she wants. She wants to say hi. She just oh texted me. Oh really? Yeah, she just texted me. She said, "Tell Anthony I said hi." So, <laughs> before we go, and I just want to throw that out. There. She's the best. She really is. She's like buddies with my wife now. She had my wife on her podcast, which was really cool, and and vice versa. Actually, Dominique came on to our podcast too because my, my wife and I have a, a like a it's a secondary podcast for me called Turtley Devoted, where mm-hmm. we we talk about relationship stuff, um, and it's it's a lot of fun, and I really like it, and I think the people who who tune in really get something out of it because. Like she's, you know, she went to school. She ended up with, it's the weirdest thing. She ended up with a biology degree, but she started school in fashion merchandising. She was like one of those people who like changed all sorts of stuff. But she, she went to school thinking she was going to be Elle Woods, you know, um, the character from Legally Blonde. And she's very much like that, that uh, trying to think of a word that's not going to sound. She's like Polly Shore and son-in-law. I don't know. Majored in karate for three semesters. I don't think so. She's like one of those career college kids. That like yeah, she she was every other year. You know, she thought she was she she thought she was hot shit. She was going to be really uh, you know uh, something something. I don't know. Working on like runway shows in New mm-hmm. York, and you know she was she's fancy. She, like the anti-reptile person, and but at the same time, then she ends up re- graduating with a with a degree in biology, and she like she worked in uh, with like lab uh, mice at one point, and was like feeding them, and got kicked out of her externship, and like she's it's weird. She's like a self-proclaimed animal person, but at the same time is is not your prototypical animal person, but like by our standards, so. Are, and then we're both kind of poke fun at each other and and uh, pop culture references and all the rest of it. And it, it makes I think it makes for a good um, a good back and forth because it's it's reminiscent of what a lot of us go through with our significant others, where like yeah. they just they don't get it and they try to support us and they do a good job, but they don't get it. It's not the same <laughs> as us having a conversation. Like she's not she's not going to tune into Reptile Podcast the way I do. But she's interested and wants, you know, she'll ask me questions about how things are going and stuff like that. But she doesn't really care the way we care. Right. That was a really long winded way. of. I feel like I feel like every all of us can kind of relate to that, though. Right. Most of us there. We know a few people like Jeff and Kendra who, you know, they do the hobby together, which is, you know, awesome. Dangerous. yeah, very yeah. dangerous. <laughs> Super dangerous. Yeah, but I think the large majority of us, you know, there's definitely one person that's in the hobby, and the other ones there, just like let me know if you need anything, <laughs> like, you know, which is great, and that's all we can ask for, yeah, you know, I mean, just support and be there if if I need my you. wife has her favorites in the room. Yeah, you know, yeah. she's not she's not all about it, but anytime I have the rhinos out or something, she wants to play with them, and you know, so I'll take it. Yeah, better than, better you got to take all those victories. Yeah, that's right. Because you build it over time, right? It's like there was a time where we were into it together when we were like a young couple and everything was wonderful, hunky dory. And she was she really tried hard to like be interested for me. We'd go to different events and stuff, and she'd hold snakes and alligators and 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 stuff, you know, for photo ops and that sort of thing. And then we got to a point where 
I really got really, really deep into it and started, it started to grow like towards what I guess what it is now for me. And, you know, now I, I'm, I've got people calling me all the time to want to talk turtles for lack of a better, uh, phrase for that. And then, you know, answering emails from people now all over the world because social media blows up and there's all sorts mm -hmm. of people who, who want to communicate. And then she feels like it starts to drift us apart where it used to bring us together. So it became a point of contention for the better part of a decade. But now we're back to, you know, with that podcast um, that we do together and we're actually, we've started, I don't know if we'll ever finish, but we've started writing a book together as well. That's kind of like a his and her recollection of these different stories and, and <laughs> That's like cool. related to it, you know, like the, yeah. the creepy guy at Hamburg who's like has three teeth and is talking to us about how he can't eat dinner in his kitchen because he's got crayfish tubs all over his table. Like, you know, like stuff. <laughs> that like, why are we here having this conversation? Well, because Anthony has a weird thing that he's into and that's just life. So, you know, me telling my side of the story as a weird animal person who kind of gets it, who kind of gets the weird crayfish guy. Uh, I'm not talking about, <laughs> I'm not talking about Zach. Yeah. So he's, he's on his way. He's on his way, but he's got more teeth than that. Casey and, Cannon finally had the, uh, the, the backbone to ask him if he's eaten his own species of, of crayfish and how it tasted. <laughs> he was like, don't eat them. They taste like shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the answer has to be yes. Right. No. Tastes like West Virginia. I don't think he said that he's eaten them before technically, but uh, he said they taste like shit. You'd have to be semi tempted to just boil one and try it out. I, it's, but I mean, that's not even like an it. So I've eaten turtle before. Is that bombshell? Is it oh, too man. early? We're only 17 oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was a little early for that How one. That? But I don't know. No, is that bad? You guys wouldn't eat snake? I, I would. Uh, if it, I guess if it was like there, I would try it. I mean, I've had but gator and I've had frog legs. I've had yeah, I don't, frog legs. I don't want to kill a turtle to eat it for like, would, would I, if it was the end of the world and I needed to feed my family? Right. Like, yeah, yeah, if it's me or the turtle, turtle going down. Don't get me wrong. Little guys start looking extra, extra tasty <laughs> after a while. <laughs> I just think that's a whole thing. They're like turtle nuggets, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like hypocritical. Like I'm, I'm pushing 400 pounds. I'm obviously not a vegan. Like, <laughs> you know, how can I look down at somebody because, you know, and, and for me, and I think that's the unique thing about being a turtle person is like, I got into it because I love turtles. I, I, like I always have since I was like five years old, they've always been there. Um, and they've always meant so much to me, but like now, and really, I guess in adulthood, as I kept doing it, it was like, all right, this means more because all the turtles are endangered. I guess it'd probably be similar for like a, a frog person, right? Um, so for that reason, I think like I, I think about that sort of stuff a lot. And when it, I had a conversation with Chris Hagen, who's a, a really um, well-known turtle person uh, and has traveled the world. And he's he told me like, I've eaten turtle and I remember being like blown away, like, Oh my gosh, that's crazy. But then as I started to think about it, you know, that I guess as long as it's sustainable, it's not a species that, you know, is endangered because so many of them are that what the hell's the difference. Right. It's probably better for the environment than eating cows, but we can get into that another time. Yeah. I mean, a lot <laughs> of it's just the cultural aspect too. I mean, yeah. there's plenty of people that eat dogs and cats in other parts of the world. And to yeah. us, that's, that's just, 
blasphemous. Yeah, that's just yeah. wrong. But to them, it's no different than us eating squirrel or armadillo yeah. or, you know. Oh, God. You, uh, I, there's a lot of things I'll try. I have armadillos. Armadillos are one. I have nothing but disgust and hatred for armadillos. Oh, my gosh. That's strong. Yes. Huh? What's wrong with armadillos? They're number one, they're invasive. Number two, they're nasty. They are so disgusting. I was going to say, I didn't know that they were. Yeah, they're a very invasive species. A thing. Um, yeah. I'm, yeah. Like, yeah. Who knew? Yeah, yeah no, people like south of the border. Cause. People eat them. They'll grill them right there in their yeah, shell. No, pe- people, it's crazy. Yeah, There's people like recipes eat them. and stuff for it. But they carry. They can carry leprosy, and it's rare though. Yeah, they carry all kinds of stuff. They can also ruin the foundation of your house. Fun fact. All right, Tim the Tool Man Taylor. I'm serious, wow. man. They dig. They they dig severely. They dig a lot, and they'll <laughs> dig like up along that side of your house, and they'll try and get up under it, and it'll cause your house to. They're just warm blooded turtles. Possum on a half show, baby. Possum. I was just gonna say that, like, it sounds like you're describing sulcata tortoises between the foundation <laughs> and cooking them in their shell. I've, I feel like I've heard all of this before. It's like, a, it's like a, it's like a sulcata and a possum had a baby and it was ugly. And then there was brothers. yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> makes sense. Like makes Master, a lot of sense. Master Splinter and Owen Wilson had a baby. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. I wasn't sulking. I twisted my ankle. That was my best Owen <laughs> Wilson. It wasn't good. Sorry. <laughs> he said something. I'm not <laughs> to play Mahjong with their grandma. I'm 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 not known for my impressions. Forgive me. I, I have a couple good ones about it. Prove it. Yeah. Prove it. No. Yeah. Uh, it has to come up. It has to come up now organically. I got you, it. You sold it too much now. No, dude. I've, I've got a couple. A couple. My stitch impression is the best. Is that what yeah. how you get girls at the bar? Yeah. Oh, Ohana oh, means family. I, no, I swear. You hear my and stitch impression? <laughs> no, I, get, I, get, I get all the girls. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. you do. How yeah. could they say no? Uh, they don't. <laughs> Oh, so, man. we'll do like your general background, just like real quick, you know. Yeah. Like, why, like, first of all, why turtles and tortoises? Like, of all the herps and stuff. Yeah. What uh, was so, about those in particular? Because I like a challenge. No, that's not even true. <laughs> I don't like a challenge. I like huge enclosures and right yeah animals that don't want to breed and when they do powered filter system i like raising things for half of my life before they can breed i like spending time hunting drain flies no uh i so it's kind of like a little bit of a reckoning a little bit of a weird i had a little bit of a weird upbringing and it's kind of just always been there for as long as i can remember i grew up like really poor and my my aunt used to take me to catch turtles um, when I was like five. And then because it was free and it was something that I guess like interested young Anthony for whatever reason. And she lived next to a pond. So you just like buy a little fishing net and duct tape it to a wiffle ball bat and go down and try to catch turtles. And this is what we did. Go get some yeah. turtles. Yellow ass wiffle ball bat and go down and catch some turtles. And that's what we did. And then uh, like my parents got divorced and then my mom was out partying, like, you know, new freedom and went out with my aunt 
and they got in a car crash. My aunt died. And it was like totally like, you know, PTSD, like this part of my life was ripped away. And she was like a second mother to me. And like, I would always think back, like, so like the swamp and the, the sounds and smells of stagnant water with algae blooms and, and birds and everything that you hear and bugs and all the rest of it was like a very comforting place for me. And I just spent a lot of my time there, even as I was growing up, um, was able to kind of turn around the generational uh, poverty that plagued my family for many generations. Went to college because I was like, I was always really attention hungry, probably because of my broken family and, and issues with all that crap, kind of crap. I was really attention hungry until I grew to be like six foot nine and didn't have to act out anymore for attention. So I went to school to play basketball. And when I was there, I had a roommate who was really interested in reptiles as well and would talk to me about how he would go to like the White Plains reptile show and stuff like that. And we bonded over that. And then before you knew it, we had an alligator snapping turtle in our dorm room that was, wasn't supposed to be there. But because we were basketball players, we just kind of like strong armed our way into keeping reptiles in our dorm room. Then we got an apartment and my teammates wouldn't want to come over because it looked like the jungle and things just kind of snowballed from there. There was a, a local pet store where we befriended the owner who would like then come to our games and we would go, the newspaper did a story on us because before every game we would like go to the reptile store and like hold snakes and feed tortoises and stuff. And it was like our good luck charm. We ended up having like the best team in school history. And after school was over that part just stuck and it was really a lot because just of that relationship because as you guys know right like when you have people who you share it with it can be such um such a big and impactful thing and i kind of always had that since i was a kid like my father also would take me out and i, I get a lot of my love of the outdoors and the animals from him so it never went away and um with the internet kind of blowing up and forums and things like that, like the more you start to research because you want to take care of your pet, the more you realize, wow, like a lot of the world's turtles are really endangered. And then from there, I found, my, I found myself focusing on species that I felt like needed the help. Whether it's from whether it's through um, you know spreading awareness, raising awareness, or through captive propagation of species that where there needs to be more, um, I just felt like I could do something really important, and um, the rest, as they say, is history. Nice. Yeah. It was not not what I was expecting. No, because no? well, I started off with the poor, with the poor thing. Because yeah. <laughs> I started off with the poor thing. <laughs> because I'm tall as shit. <laughs> because I'm 400 pounds and can still dunk. No, uh, I can't really, probably. I don't even I know. I say, you just had to slide that one in there, didn't you? No, I haven't touched a basketball <laughs> since COVID. I have no idea. I probably can't even touch the rim at this point. I can't, can't touch my toes. So, you know, but uh, yeah, like. I I think that the trauma has part has something to do with it, and and then also the mm -hmm. um, just the fact that it's kind of always been there, and is something that I think is comforting to me, and kind of yeah. reminds me of like the good old days and simpler times, you know. Yeah, I think there's some sort of aspect like that for me, just being a military kid, you know, moving around so much. That was like the one thing that I always took with me, no matter where we went, was. Right herps you know yep. be it actual animals or books and stuff like that i still have a, a lot of the books that i had as a kid and yeah 
Um, I mean, for me, my reptiles were the only things that didn't make fun of me. So it was, it was kinda, I feel you. All At least that like, you know a, of. They could have been. They thing. just couldn't speak. Yeah. yeah for right. Sure. They, they judge you, though, with the side eye. Yeah, know. My snakes didn't try to dump me in toilets or trash cans. So, you know, that was. You know, having good, snakes for part. so long. The Ackies do kind of hurt your feelings a little bit. Like. <laughs> You want to love them so bad, but then they just kind of look at you and they like, you can see that they're really thinking as to whether or not they want to interact with you or not. Mm -hmm. And then they turn around and run. Like, and it's nah. like, I'm, I I'm literally just want to hold you. I just want to give you all of my love. Clint and all the cool people on YouTube get to do it. Why can't I, damn it? Justin's like, how am I supposed to live, laugh, love in these conditions? Exactly. <laughs> well, that's funny. Oh, and I don't want to be the guy that like tries to force their their interaction with food. Like I really don't want that to be the no. big main motivator for them to want to come out yeah. and see me. <laughs> I love what animals because I love animals. Like like I love them in their natural state. When an animal tries to run away from me, scratches me, goes to the bathroom on me, tries to bite me, I love it. That that to me is a healthy animal who's strong and gets That's your love language. When a turtle swims up to me like an idiot and is splashing around <laughs> on the side of on the side of the tank, splashing water everywhere, trying to get food, that to me is like I just walked into a strip club and they walked up to me because they think I have money in my pocket and they want they're using me for what they want to accomplish. And like I'm like, no, I just wanted to observe from the corner. Like I don't I don't I don't want it to be that, you know, I don't want to take it to that level. I don't need a lap dance. I don't need to interact in that way. But I think a lot of people want that. They want to make reptiles yeah. something they're not. They want to, and that's fine. Every, you know, different strokes for different folks, but like dance monkey dance. I want them to be natural. So the enclosure yeah. should be natural as natural as possible, as naturalistic as possible. And, and when they see me coming, they should run. And then when I drop food, they should come out. Me. Yeah. You know, I don't want them on the side of the tank being weird. I'm working. I'm working with them. They'll come around one day. Yeah. The snakes, you know, most of them hate me regardless. So at least we're clear on our, on where I stand. I love how yeah. he basically was like, "Yeah, stop being an asshole and making your lizards love you." They're just like, "Yeah, I'll get them to come around eventually." They're just they're still <laughs> they're still young, man. And that's okay. That's that's all right. That's that's the I'm different the, strokes part. Like I'm the creepy guy in the van. They're the yeah. they're the the kids walking down the sidewalk. You just big enough to defend themselves. Maybe they'll take the candy. You keep showing up to the gentleman's club and you know, everyone's name. You're like, Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hi chastity. We're the, we're the Millers. The guy with the hook hands is back. The regular, you're the right. Strong hand. You're the regular and you're showing up and yeah, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Keep working at it. I just, I wouldn't. I've, That's I've got regulars at work where I'm like, oh man. <laughs> today, yeah, not today. Please not today. That's you to them. You're their yeah. regulars. Yep. And they're like, oh, this we call, we call guy. regulars <sighs> that hang out at the shop daily for hours on end lounge lice. They're over here just like, drop the bugs and go. Jesus. Some days I just don't have the patience and that's what I do. I just put them in the cup and I'm like, have at it. That, that, some days sure like, today prefer. i think i'm gonna attempt to see if they'll love me today i will make you eat from my tongue hmm. do they show love though or is it just it's just tolerance right like it's tolerance i don't know i've seen some videos of some aggies that are just hanging man like they're yeah they're chill they don't care they're like 
yeah, whatever. This is neat. I'm out of my cage. I hear they're awesome. A couple of my friends have them. A couple of my best friends. And, um, well, one has experience with them, and then the other one just got some. So they talk about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Yeah. They're growing so freakishly fast. Of course, every time Jake comes over, they're not out. Yeah, I've never seen these he things. Seen I'm yet. doubting their actual existence. <laughs> it's just a oh. cage. No, it's just cages at like 180 degrees. Yeah, and he just you know puts in his little just, videos. Those aren't actually his. He's right. them up. They're fake. Mm-hmm. They're not real. I'm sorry. What is that. what are you doing currently? Like, what is your what do you what what do you what do you do? What's your collection look like? Like professionally uh, and at home, I guess. Like, what do you? Yeah, oh, I can give. Yeah, because this is good. Because I think a lot of your viewers probably don't know who the hell I am. So that and which is which is totally fine. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about, my, about myself today. Uh, so I have a uh, nonprofit. I'm the vice president of the Turtle Room, which is a official 501c3, um, and we're a conservation organization. We have projects that take. That, that take care of animals in, in the wild, in situ. We have projects, uh, lots of projects for uh, captive propagation of endangered species. And then we also do a lot around education. Um, I'm like, a lot of my professional life has been spent as a social worker. I've had a career change though, which I'll get into in a second, but, but that experience um, coupled with our, you know, our founder and my partner, Steve, who is a, an educator who has his master's in education. Um, we're just very big on, on the people part of animals and trying to uh, work with people across different aisles because we feel that that's like the only way to make real headway in, in this animal related stuff. Um, and, you know, as much as we, you know, dislike PETA and what they mean for who we are, uh, you know, on some level, you have to kind of understand at least where they're coming from, even though we don't, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, all the different sides, like trying, maybe not that side, maybe that was a bad example. But uh, so as happens in social work uh, fields, uh, sometimes funding goes away and jobs go away and that sort of thing. And I found myself in a position where I could maybe potentially start to look for, um, something new. And, uh, I got a job, a a different social work job, which was like, you know, more money. And, and I was excited and I was about to start on Monday, but there was this other job that I applied for at a veterinary hospital, a large 24 hour specialty hospital, uh, you know, the kind of place where you, where your dog gets hospitalized and it costs you $10,000, like that sort of hospital. And, mm-hmm. uh, they ended up calling me and I went in for an interview and it went wonderfully. I had no idea what the hell I was doing or what any of it meant, uh, besides just being an animal person for life and, and kind of understanding the veterinary field from that perspective. And, uh, told them I was about to start another job and they like sp- sprang into action. I don't know if sprang, sprung, whatever. They jumped up and did something about it. And they, they basically like stole me away from the other place. I had to call them like the day before I was starting to be like on the weekend and be like, sorry, I'm not coming. And uh, at that point started my career in the veterinary field. Uh, Three hospitals later, I'm at um, another large specialty hospital uh, the, the type of hospital where you take your dog to get brain surgery, literally. Wow. And, um, it's incredible. I'm the hospital manager. So, um, myself and, and my boss run the hospital, which is really cool. Um, I'm currently, I've currently have started writing a book 
about my experience kind of coming into the veterinary field as a social worker and kind of what that means. A lot of, a lot of large hospitals like mine are hiring social workers. Like we don't need one right now because we have me and I'm so my boss is like no BS, like the type of person who's like, what you see is what you get total transparency, like drop the hammer, like, like no time for BS. Mm-hmm. And when she was recruiting me to come over and join her, I, I told her, like, just so you know, like, I'm all BS. Like, I'm nothing but BS. <laughs> like, like, you don't want to sit down and have those conversations. Like, all I want to do is have those conversations. So uh, it's a really good partnership. I'm learning a lot and just really excited. I was actually, like, right before I signed on with you guys, I was I was typing, writing in the book and just, like, so excited about kind of the the, the stuff that's coming out and um, and all of that, uh, kind of like a leadership book, but also veterinary type stuff. So, um, I do a lot of writing as you could probably tell, cause I've referenced it a bunch of times already. I really like writing a lot. And, and a lot of my projects that I chose at certain times were in terms of like my breeding projects were to try to kind of fuel my writing. If it was something that like, there's no information on, maybe they've been bred a couple of times or maybe really not. And, you know, we could really like, if we had any success, like really help a lot of people who are keeping species where there's like never been, not that care sheets are the best thing ever, but there's never been like an article published on them, like right. whether it's natural history or keeping them, but but people have them in captivity. So like those weird situations, um, which I'm sure happens more often with snakes just because of how many um, species there are. So that's the stuff that kind of gets me really excited. But in terms of keeping, I have 253 turtles and tortoises who's counting and um it's about maybe like 45 different taxa that i look after here that are part of my uh breeding programs and i think i'm breeding about 14 right now hoping next year every year the goal is to in- increase that number and to increase the overall number of hatchlings and you know for the most part the stuff is is pretty endangered and in need of, if nothing else, just awareness and, and education uh, so that people know what they are and, and can appreciate them. So um, I, I published a book in 2016 on leaf turtles, uh, Vietnamese black-breasted leaf turtles and the Ryuku black-breasted leaf turtles from basically Japan's version of Hawaii, the Ryuku um, islands, mm-hmm. um, which are kind of like out there pretty separated from the mainland, but are um, an important place for biodiversity and for military stuff. Do you, have, you ever have any, like, have you ever kept anything outside of colonians? Like, or have you ever had any interest in snakes or lizards? Or- yeah. Yeah. So back in college, I, I did, um, I bred bearded dragons, um, leopard geckos. And, you know, I mean, as a kid, I, I kept a whole bunch of different stuff that I would find. Um, we kept snakes, ball pythons, Brazilian rainbow boas um, in college as well. But we, you know, I mean, we, we were busy college kids. That's, I mean, which is like an oxymoron, but like we were, we were actually kind of busy between athletics school and, and um, working, mm-hmm. but we, so we weren't, we weren't the best keepers. I think, you know, we were the type of kids who we, like, yeah, you could look it up online, but let's just go ask our friend at the pet store sort of thing. And that's kind of how we got our start. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like at a certain point years later, he started reaching out when he had questions. But 
I just find it very interesting because a lot of a lot of the turtle and tortoise guys, it's not like they dabble in turtles and tortoises. It's like that's their thing. Like there's not. Yeah, it's not like there's there's do. guys like us where it's like a lot of snakes and then it's like yeah I've got some Conixus and some other odds and ends. It's like no, you have nothing but, and then maybe you have some of the other stuff. Yeah, the, those, like, yeah, some do, but most don't. So yeah, some of that that group just seems to be very like hyper focused. They're so unique, you know. They're just these big lumbering. Even the fast ones are just these awkward. They're freaking turtles, you know, like the most recognizable <laughs> thing in the world. So they're they're I don't know. They're just different, and um, I think to love them is is to really love them and to dedicate like what it takes to keeping them and like keeping them is hard enough, but breeding them, like mm -hmm. you, most turtles want to kill each other and you can't they keep them. Brutal. They are. A lot of the species are really brutal. You have to keep them separately. I think, I don't know here. I, I probably have like 35 leaf turtles and they all live separately. So, you know, you have, like I built what I call the, the Spangler eye apartment complex, which is, it's four feet wide, two feet deep. So normal, you know, like I don't I, like vision type cages, I guess, whatever you call them, like that type of size, but it's six feet tall and it's got four levels. And then those are broken into four slots each. So it's really just like, like a cubby system and they each have two square feet, one by two. And then you put them together for breeding, which works for them because they're super small. Like, yeah. you know, a lot of them, like they don't even make four inches males are really rare because males are generally smaller and when they were imported males were less likely to hit four inches so you had a female skewed sex ratio from the beginning mm. and then they also um were more susceptible to issues you know around import importation like health issues and that sort of thing so um males are really rare but i mean they're just a really small species you know like 100 grams as an adult wow yeah, how did you get into those? Uh, a partner of mine with the Turtle Room is is a, a wonderful breeder who worked at the Memphis Zoo. He's super knowledgeable, but he's pretty quiet. And for for a few years, he was talking to me about this genus Geoemida, and he's like, you know, I really think you ought to consider them. He was offering me his hatchlings for like so cheap, like dirt cheap, like like so uh, so like disrespectfully cheap uh, <laughs> at the time. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I said no for so long. So finally I ended up taking up up on it and I, I got uh, hatchling um, Ryuku, Japanese black breasted leaf turtle and his really prolific pair of um, Vietnamese black breasted leaf turtle, which are the ones with the owl eyes. Um, and those are really cool. Those are the really small ones. They're great because you can keep them like dart frogs, like planted vivaria. They don't trample the plants. They they do really well. Like you know, in 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 terms of kind of like navigating like these complex, um, they're not going to like flip over like a tortoise and die yeah. on their back. You know, they're they're great climbers and everything, and they like to get up on the top and look out. They're they're really yeah. great. So, yeah. and I think a lot of people don't really. I mean. That's one that's really popular and kind of crosses over into like reptile world where I think a lot of the, the obscure turtle species don't. Yeah. But um, yeah, but once I once once he kind of finally was able to convince me, I, I was completely hooked and never changed. And 
Um, you know, now I, I published a book on them and, and I just, I'm kind of known as the, the GOE Mida guy, which is, or one of the GOE Mida guys, because there's, there are quite a few like worldwide. Um, but it's, um, it kind of changed everything for me. I think that's what, that's what kind of took me from just being like, you know, really like excited to be there type team player who just wanted to collaborate with people and would like cold call email people out of the blue to like talk turtles to like somebody who started getting those emails for once and and you know became known for something and was actually like i don't know like a legitimate breeder i guess yeah because i remember andy and dom sending us pictures of them and i was doing some reading on the the turtle room website earlier trying to get a you know do my recon yeah cool my research my homework um you should try it sometime jake Oh, uh, <laughs> somebody has and, to and i've seen pictures of them but without any context i would have never thought they were that small really small yeah like a massive one would be like 200 grams but you know they're adults no like full-grown adults that are less than 100 grams so you know how tiny are the babies what's that how tiny are the babies like the hatches uh they're actually kind of large the eggs are really <laughs> comparatively comparatively mm -hmm. The, the eggs are large, so they'll lay like one egg at a time. Mm -hmm. um, to my knowledge, the record size clutch was was laid this year in my basement, um, four eggs. But normally they lay one or two, like a large female might lay two. But they're large eggs, and then the hatchlings are maybe six, seven, eight grams, which is large considering the, the small yeah. size of the adults. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what, how long is the incubation? Uh, anywhere from like 68 to 135 days, depending on temperatures. Wow. That's uh, quite the, it's crazy. Like, A lot of turtles are different. like that. Yeah. yeah. So I've got, I'm breeding. So I'm breeding, I'm trying, I'm practicing, uh, spider tortoises from Madagascar, which is another, so I specialize in small species because I live in Connecticut. Like you're not going to you know, breed large species here right. unless you have some crazy warehouse facility that you can eat. Like utilities are expensive. Land is expensive. It's super cold. Like you, you need to, you need to have a game plan that works. I lived uh, in Groton as keep... a kid and loved it. What's that? So I lived in Groton as a kid and loved it. Oh, really? Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Awesome. That was one of my favorites. It was just makes sense, it was gorgeous. Yeah, you said you said military family it makes sense. Yeah. Um, now that's that's coastal. That's right on the water, so it'd probably be a little bit warmer uh, than where I grew up. But I'm a little more coastal now too, and I, I feel. I mean, I don't know if it's global warming or what, but it's it feels a little warmer than usual the last couple winters, which is nice for a turtle keeper. But uh, these sp these spider tortoises, I've been raising them since 2011, and they just started dropping eggs this year. Wow. I mean, so that's the thing about turtles is a lot of these species take a really, really, and that's with me like power feeding them. Like, you know, you said, don't power feed, like slow and steady is the way to go. Like, all right, it's going to take me 11 years. Like, let's <laughs> like, I'm going to power feed. Uh, growth is really nice because with turtles, you know, if you're not feeding them right or giving them the right humidity, then they get really, uh, they get really wonky when they're in their growth. But uh, they just started producing this year and their incubation could take up to a year and they need a diapause. So you get the egg and it's one egg at a time yeah. for this really rare species. That's taken 11 years to produce. You get one egg and it, uh, you warm it for four weeks, 
four to six weeks and then you cool it for four to six weeks and then you warm it up again. And then that second warm up is when development finally starts. What? And it's, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And I had an egg that I didn't find last year that uh, one of the males this spring was digging around and, and kicked it up. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. So I start incubating it and then I go to cool it. But before I cool it, I candle it. And the thing is developing like, oh, my gosh, I thought it was a new egg. Turns out it was the year before it got the cool down over the winter and started developing on its own. But of course, I killed it because that's what I do to eggs and it didn't it didn't hatch. Um, but I've got some good eggs this year. So I'm hoping that next year this this year's eggs will hatch next year and I can be a successful spider tortoise breeder but that's the type of commitment it takes on the turtle side which mm -hmm. is just stupid but it's super rewarding like i wouldn't yeah. trade trade it for anything like there's I, I i'd be lying if i said you know a, there's another guy who who acquired like a turnkey group of spider tortoises that had been producing for years yeah. he got them and produced one right away like it's not a sweet i'm jealous but it's not yes when i hatch them from hatchlings that i got from a zoo Yep. in 2011 and have been raising that entire time like it's going to be you know yeah. something well, that yeah it's seeing the results of a decade of commitment yeah. yeah decade plus now yeah crazy yeah tyler brooks has got me very interested in Conexus. nice tyler's a great guy we've had him on our podcast yeah, he's awesome he's a wonderful, wonderful wonderful guy and uh really really smart guy, really cool guy down to earth and just the type of person you want to be a champion of a important, uh, taxa, uh, or taxon like, um, Conixus. Mm -hmm. So Conixus being, so cool. uh, uh, hingeback tortoises, just for anyone who doesn't know the turtle nomenclature. Yeah. They're I, really I, cool. I definitely knew that. <laughs> I knew what you were talking about the whole time. You did your research. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks that's to all. her pediculture magazine. That's it. Last did Tyler time. write for her? Her medical. He did training? the last the the yeah. last issue before we put the nail in the coffin. Was a it makes me really sad. Uh, I can't even imagine how you feel about it, but I I, I don't know. I just it's I wanted to write. I wanted to write. If yeah. just promise me, if you do like, just like a one more like for old times that I could write for you. We're still like I'm still putting articles on the website. I know. It's, uh, no, it's I'm not old. the same, but different. Yeah, I'm the same way. You know. I'm old. You can see my hairline. I like a paper magazine. <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't want to hear this from me right now. Just, I'll just <laughs> <show you. laughs> the uh, yeah. So Conixus and pancake tortoises have always been something that I've I've had an interest in, but have never. Oh heard. yeah, they're terrific. I keep those as well. I don't I don't have any Conixus just based on space. If I mm -hmm. I'm working on building a uh, a new building here and. If I do, then I, I'd like to add Conixus because they're important and they should be like they're they're critically endangered. It's not really on many people's radar, which is why what Tyler and Jeremy are doing is so important for educating and, and kind of getting keepers to realize like this is something that you should dedicate time to mm -hmm. and, and money and space and efforts uh, because they're they're going like fast in in Africa. So is it a habitat thing? It's everything. It's Everything. just like they were forever. Like, like we knew they were critically endangered, but in, in terms of like the red list, they were just like needs more information, you know, mm -hmm. or, or you would see like thing, like they just weren't seen and they're imported in such large numbers. So when things get imported in, in large numbers, nobody cares. Like they're, they're obviously still there. Right. 
and they're not expensive. They're $35 at the reptile show. So why, you know what I mean? And then one day it stops and then everybody says, oh, I wish I did that. We were just talking about the spider tortoises. Those were like 50 bucks, a hundred bucks. And they were just coming in in droves and then until they didn't. And now like, I don't even know what an adult will go for because they're like never for sale. Wasn't there just a big bust as far as trying to smuggle some of those recently? They found like a ton of them in a truck or something. Yeah, there. So those are radiated tortoises from Madagascar. Oh, yeah, like yeah. The bigger version. Um, and then recently there was also in. There's also Indian star busts as well. Indian mm-hmm. star tortoises as well. But they're kind of like that, like you know, black tortoise with this with the yellow star pattern on them. But these ones are just like the some of the smallest of like star pattern species. There's some, there's some tent tortoises um, and padloppers in, in South um, Africa that, that also have like a star pat starburst pattern on them that um, kind of, I guess would put them like unofficially in that group, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it just helps them to blend in when you see them in like grass, like that yellow grass with yeah. shadows, you, you could, they just immediately disappear. What do you think the sort of the common denominator is globally as far as things being like so many things being on on the list somewhere, you know, whether it's endangered or threatened, like what seems to be the common the common theme? So I think and this might not be the answer you were going for is is like the juxtaposition of humans and the fact that that turtles are evolved for a world that like doesn't exist anymore because of humans. So it's just a myriad of different things. And I think certain things affect certain species more than others. Like it's a legal collection. It's, it's, you know, they're being used for food, bush meat, even small species sometimes, Um, you know, like this little spider tortoises I was talking about, like people puncture their, like, and, and like, eat their liver. Like, I don't even understand. Uh, there are, you know, Asian species where they grind up the plastron, the bottom part of the shell and turn it into a jello, a gelatin, gulen jiao, that is supposed to uh, fight cancer. Uh, so it's just, it's everything. It's road mortality. It's habitat, not only habitat loss, but habitat fragmentation. You know, you could be driving down the road and see like, oh, this is really nice habitat here. Like, we're, I'm out in the sticks. That's great. Not realizing like, oh, you're on a road and like. Yeah, you split it in half. Yeah, these animals cross constantly and they're getting run over like crazy. So um, all sorts of things. And then also most most turtles are, um, th- this is not proven at all, but it's something I just like to tell people because it make it, I think it's interesting, especially when doing like education stuff with general public. So, so this isn't necessarily the best to say here, but. Like, we don't necessarily know what the effects of global warming could be yet. Most turtle species are temperature sex determined, mm-hmm. um, you know, like American alligators. So, uh, except backwards. So females are produced at high temperatures. And it's, you know, a difference of just a couple of degrees can totally change everything. So right. what are the chances of like a children of men situation? Mm-hmm. Nice Clive Owen movie reference for you to like where, you know, you end up with not enough of one gender, uh, one sex. There's all sorts of stuff. I just, I just ramble. So forgive me. I'm not, (laughs) I am in no way an authority necessarily. I'm just, you know, I just like to ramble about turtles. So 
Well, <laughs> one of the big things that I wanted to pick your brain about was South Carolina. Yeah. Recently put in some, some, like they really, so South Carolina prior to 2020, 2020. Yep. Late 2022 was very, as well. was a very lax state. We really yes. had no regulations on anything barring like spotted yeah. turtles and some other stuff. Um, and then all of a sudden it's, it hasn't flipped. Like it's not a super strict state now, but now all native species have some sort of limit in terms of what you can sell and move. And turtles were a big motivating factor in that because South Carolina historically, from what I read has been a big state for people to export things uh, illegally. Yeah. Smuggling. Well, part of it is that <laughs> like the first part of that, equation is gathering the animals, right? So if I talk to you guys and you're in South Carolina and you guys are like looking to make a buck and I'm like, yeah, here in Connecticut, we got all sorts of Eastern box turtles. Like where I've got a spot over here where I could go and, and flip a wooden shipping crate and that's where they hibernate. And I know there's 15 of them on, under it right now. And, or this road over here, they cross all the time. I live right near it. Like I can go and check four times a day and just collect them all spring and then come and drive down to South Carolina, hook you up. Like that became a spot where all the Eastern box turtles went mm -hmm. because just being caught with all of them, you wouldn't be in trouble. The only, right. the only place you would is when you were meeting the person who was going to smuggle them out or, you know, you were putting them in the shipment that was going to try to make it through customs or whatever. So that's why South Carolina became such an important, uh, you know, point of contention with people who are trying to fight this, these wildlife crimes and the TSA turtle survival Alliance, is, is the largest international turtle conservation uh, organization in, in the world. Um, and they, their um, turtle survival center is in South Carolina yeah. in, in cross. And uh, it's, it's a, a wonderful place. The work that they do is really important. And uh, they were instrumental in, in fighting for that to pass. Mm -hmm. and they had done a lot of um, a lot of tests, testifying, a lot of uh, I'm looking for a term like politicking with with politicians, for lack of a better term, uh, to try to networking uh, to try to turn the tide there a little bit, which is great. It, like I want people to be able to keep animals, but. I also want laws that protect the animals so that they're here for the next generation as well. Right. I think that we can kind of live harmoniously with, within that. I think uh, there are people who would just fight any type of law that restricts anything. And then there are people who uh, just want any law and to restrict everything. But I think those of us kind of in the middle understand that like, mm, you know, yeah, I, I don't, you know, want guns to be an issue, but laws just take them out of the hands of the good people who are trying to abide by the law. So like, you know, like we come up with something that makes sense, um, yeah. not to, not to get into political issues, but, um, I think like right now they're, they're petitioning to add several turtle species onto the, in the federal endangered species list. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're, they're going to put the alligator snapping turtles, because there are several species now, uh, onto the uh, Endangered Species Act and then also the Egyptian tortoise. 
So that's a good example right there. Like I am, I personally, and I'm, I don't expect anyone to agree with me, although um, I think they should. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm okay with the alligator snapping turtle being listed. It's a native species to America. It's been declining for years. Uh, they are poached for their meat still, and they are sent to Asia quite a bit. I would wholeheartedly agree. I love that the alligator snapper is being put on that. Yeah. On that list. So I support that. Yeah. The one that I don't support, and I wrote um, an article, uh, I'm sorry, a, a letter um, uh, to to um, dispute the um, proposed listing of the Egyptian tortoise on the Endangered Species Act. The reason for that is the, the Endangered Species Act doesn't really need to list any non-native species, any exotic mm -hmm. species. That's what CITES is for. CITES, you know, is, is international that keeps endangered species from being imported, exported, um, sold across country lines, right? Right. Uh, the ESA restricts selling animals across state lines. And while I'm not super scared personally that that's going to be an issue. Like I don't make money off of selling turtles. I don't like selling turtles. I, mm -hmm. I like, I, I'd rather like trade turtles for bloodlines and stuff like that. Um, so like, I'm not that worried. Like I still think people who are really dedicated could work with those animals, but it's just not right because CITES is already in place for that. And um, there are a lot of people that are doing really good things and it's, the problem and, and the challenge to keepers is to actually talk about what they're doing. That's where I think turtle people really struggle. So we kind of got out there to really communicate with all the Egyptian tortoise breeders in the country to see how many were being produced. And when we started, I'm pretty well plugged in in, in turtle circles. Like I'm, I am a super duper turtle nerd. In that way, uh, I love, like I said, I like the animal people side of it. So we went out and started pounding the pavement, so to speak, to kind of talk to these people, figure it out and and find out how many Egyptian tortoises were being produced over the last three years by any breeder that we could find. Like I've got a breeder over here who's produced one in, in 2020 and that's it over the last three years. And then a breeder over here who's produced 87. And that's another small species that doesn't produce a lot of young. Like, mm -hmm. you know, they lay an egg at a time, two eggs, three eggs, maybe, but they're, they're, you know, very uh, low fecundity rate for them. So turns out that we produced about 503 hatchlings that, that we know of, that I know of from, from that networking and was able to put that into the letter they have no idea what's being produced a lot of people don't want to share they want to stay anonymous 503 hatchlings do you want to know and and their argument is that the aza can continue to produce and share offspring to to kind of dispute our argument that like you're not needed yeah the genetic health is still going to be there right yeah without us so the aza has produced like a handful and when I say a handful, like like from one person, we heard that the AZA produced like 21 but in the last three years. But speaking to someone else who knows a little bit better, it, it sounded like maybe it was more like two. So <laughs> the reason for this is that Egyptian tortoises, they, they need 
they need certain things. And when you have a private breeder who's really, really dedicated to it, you keep them a certain way. Like, you know, you cool certain species, you separate certain species, put them together at the right time. Egyptian tortoises really need multiple males and they need male competition and the males will actually fight a little bit. And if you get them mm-hmm. fighting and then put them with a female, they breed immediately. Like those sorts of things that you find out that zoos necessarily don't have the time. I visited a zoo that kept that keeps the leaf turtles that I specialize in and they had them off exhibit together. I keep them separately. I think it's really important for a, a myriad of reasons to keep them separately. They had them together and they have them in a room. And I, I, I was there in the, um, in, in colder months. And I said like, you know, and it was warm in the room, like, are they getting a cool down? Because the species won't breed without being cooled. Like, like a lot of colubrids. Right. Yeah. So, um, I asked that question and the answer of course is no. Like if, if you want to move a tank, you have to, it's like this whole bureaucratic yeah. red tape process, like that you have to go through to even, to even ask, but like, they don't like whatever. So they're literally just going to keep them there until they die one by one over the years. And they're just going to waste away because it's not important. They're not even on display and because they don't bring people through the turnstiles and and it's not something that you can write um, a press release about. And they're like, if they don't have the right person on staff, like, like Ryan Dumas at the Mm -hmm. Cincinnati zoo, like, like he cares if he had those, he would be, doing awesome work with them but if he leaves his zoo and then a frog person comes in then it's like all right well the turtles are there it is what it is and and that's just kind of an unfortunate part of it so like i think you could look at the private side and say like point the finger and say you guys are all about classified ads and making money and you know selling sick animals and whatever else we get accused of but like nobody's perfect and there's there's good and bad in every single uh population that was a really long ramble thank you no, I mean, like with the South Carolina stuff. I mean, I, I, I don't doubt that it was an issue as far as the the turtle stuff, but the fact that everything else kind of got lumped in, like corn snakes, which I thought was hilarious because the way they you did, don't see don't... people selling adult wild caught corns that much anymore. Like, yeah, and see, but that's the thing is, like, it's not even wild caught corns right now. It's you can't. You can't produce corn snakes here and sell them if they're over 24 inches or whatever the heck it's it 21. is. 21. You know, it's like, if, why put that type of stigma on it? Like, you that, can only well, see, sell that these I understand because then babies, you don't you know? have people going and collecting full grown adults that are breeding and, and contributing well, to yeah, a that wild I, population. But mm-hmm. yeah, that I can, that I can 100%. I just thought it was kind of goofy that, you know, they literally pretty much everything like garter snakes, racers, like, yellow rats like no one's going out and catching these things in mass and selling them at least that i've seen mm-hmm. so it's like un- like indigos i understand yeah you indigos, know, some of those yeah. species indigos, uh, eastern diamondbacks stuff like that like that i get yeah. yeah like rough green snakes like i see those for sale from wholesalers and stuff but it's i highly doubt people are going out in mass and trying to trying to collect these and even with mm-hmm. the turtles i think it was only a handful of individuals that were really the the, the problem um, I just yeah. think it was kind of overkill in terms of what they did. Like I said, I understand why they did it. And now, unfortunately it's extended beyond the native stuff. And now we have people in South Carolina, you know, in the legislation trying to push for, for oh, other yeah. stuff, yeah. um, which is always like the biggest fear of like, yep. okay, they're, 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 they got the crosshairs on the native stuff. Okay, cool. Whatever. 
but then it almost always shifts to something else. And so I just thought it was interesting. I mean, like I said, I understand why they would do what they did as far as native wildlife. I'm not completely against it. I just think it was they it was little little overkill to to just everything, you know. My I have no problems with the wild caught thing. I am not I'm not a big proponent of taking adult animals out of the wild, period. Right. Um, we've talked about that see, before. Even that they're not saying you can't collect them. Yeah, you can't. That's the thing. You can you go. Can. You can't. You can go get them if you want. You just can't just sell them. Can't sell them. Yeah. Yeah, like we could go find adults all day long and keep them. And keep them. But we can't them. sell them. You can keep them, breed them, but then you can sell the babies if they produce. So, but I mean, I, and I, like I said, that seems okay. Like that doesn't bother me a whole lot. But if that means that I'm going to have DNR asking me how many corns i'm selling mm-hmm. you know and am i making sure they're of a certain length even though they're captive bred you know because i have some locality stuff from here where we live and that's going to be a big focus mm-hmm. of mine so it's like i'm now have to make sure that i'm selling stuff young and holding back and making sure i'm holding on to whatever i'm holding on to which is fine because worst case you know i know where the parents came from like exact locations i can go re-release some you know whatever um we know somebody that's that's done that, you know, with some populations with corns. You know, they hatch out some mm-hmm. and then they release them and help boost that. You know, however many live, live, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's just to have the idea of of having DNR sort of looking over your shoulder, like oh yeah, that corn snake under twenty one inches. I don't I don't keep anything native, not a single thing, and uh, and not native to. Connecticut. I, I do keep some American species, but but nothing native to, to Connecticut because I just don't even like Connecticut has. And this was going to be my question for you guys is, is South Carolina actually issuing permits? Because I think a lot of states say you can't keep blah, 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 unless you have a permit. But Connecticut is the type of state where they outlaw everything native. Well, most native things. And then they say, well, unless you have a permit, but they don't get permits and there's nobody watching anything. And I don't trust the wildlife person mm-hmm. who comes here to appreciate or respect or understand what I'm doing or trying to build. So right. <clears throat> I'm not going to help somebody who has an Eastern painted turtle who they need to find a home for, even though I know they're not protected here. I'm, I'm not taking it. I'm not going to have not it here. With the hassle. Yeah. I'm not going to even deal with the potential hassle, even though I know there won't be one just because that's just, there's enough species out there that I'll just focus on something else. And that's how, that's part of the reason why I became like an Asian turtle mm-hmm. guy. Um, but yeah. are they, do you know, are they giving permits? Do you guys have friends? I don't, I don't know if they're giving them. I know. I didn't think there was a permit process. I think there might be on some stuff. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Like I know there's limits as far as like Eastern uh, diamondback terrapins. Mm-hmm. I think there's a limit to what you can have. Uh, and then to sell like the native stuff, they say you can, you have to get a permit, but you also have to be like an educational institution or, or something. Which makes sense. It makes sense for an educational, you know, outfit to want to sell animals. And I don't know, that just yeah. seems counterproductive to me a little bit. Not to say that people can't do it. I think it's fine, right. but I just think to for that to be written into the into the the law right. into the verbiage makes not a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, like I think looking at um, legislation and trying to make sense of it is like an exercise in futility. And no matter whether we're talking yeah. about South Carolina, <laughs> Connecticut, the U.S., anywhere else in the world, like it's just. 
it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So I think like you accept and work within the stuff that is like, eh, it is what it is. And then when something comes up like the Egyptian tortoise, it's like, you know what, this doesn't pass the smell, the smell test. And we, you know, it's, I, I think it kind of undermines and puts a halt to a lot of progress that's been made over 20 years. A lot of tortoises died being imported 20 years yeah. ago. And like now the ones that made it are finally starting to get to a point where they don't need to be imported or smuggled anymore. And now we're going to shut that down to protect the species. Yeah. It, it doesn't make sense to me. And, and I think that's the issue. It does make sense for the for the alligator snapping turtle. Mm -hmm. And the other one too that they're doing now is they're gonna do some map turtles and they're gonna they wanna they wanna list four map turtles to protect one because they look alike. So they're gonna they're gonna list species that aren't that shouldn't even, you know, be considered for listing because yeah. of their own um, inability to identify species. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. we've talked wow. about it a good bit too. You know, you look at, I think, of like some of the dart frog species, um, you know, the main one that comes to mind is the the Tinctorius, the Tumumake variety. Like, those are illegal because they are Brazilian. Mm -hmm. But somehow, people have bought, like, gotten them, like, imported from Europe because in Europe, they've had them. Like, they're nothing new, but in the U.S., they're yeah. non-existent. And so, to me, it's like, why wouldn't you allow at least a handful to come in? so that they can be bred and now the demand for for those wild caught smuggled ones like disappear so I, like that's kind of why i sort of it makes yeah. me chuckle when they look at these like all out bans it's like you're not actually like are you really helping cut back on on like helping to save a species when they're still just going to be illegally smuggled no you know, it's, that's the argument that a lot of people will make is is that you know for some of these animal rights um, outfits that are pushing a lot of the legislation and making the original uh, the original proposals that are kind of, I don't know, like co-signed by them and, and federal fish and wildlife, it, it's large, you know, money-making ventures for them where just like at the turtle room, we can say, Hey, we have an actual project in Africa to save hingeback tortoises, which yeah. is true, by the way. Uh, that for us is a huge thing, a feather in our cap to say, hey, guys, look, we're doing real conservation work. We're not just breeding animals in captivity. Hey, we're doing monitoring with wood turtles in Pennsylvania. That stuff really strikes a chord with people and shows like we're, we're doing something significant. Mm -hmm. That's these animal rights groups feather in their cap to show, hey, we're doing something significant. Hey, we got the Egyptian tortoise after decades of being imported. We got them listed on the Endangered Species Act and stopped that. But I mean, the real truth of the matter is that 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 was that they're not being imported anymore because they're just about extinct in the wild so yeah, i was talking to tyler about that briefly the other day mm -hmm. and i think he said they haven't been imported in a long time yeah yeah but it, you know there's there's it's complicated animal issues are multifaceted at at, at best and it's it's just complicated stuff and you know, someone on either end can make their case for why they're being yeah. a hero and could just argue about it. But, but that's why I think it's just about kind of trying to straddle the line wherever you can and, and try to, you know, fight the things that really don't make much sense. And then, you know, collaborate where you can on the things that kind of make sense and, and see past the, the differences. Cause it just, it's just, it's not good. That's mm -hmm. for sure. I do want some time back to Urban's one day. They're awesome. They They're really so are. cool, man. We have a project in New Jersey, the the um, 
the Terrapin Conservation Initiative that Chris and Casey Leone talk about power couples that they run and they they've saved and it's only been like three years and they've saved thousands of terrapins. They they microchip um, adult females when they come up to because it's like an Aribata, like like in South America when the sea turtles all come up at the same time, like diamondbacks. Yeah. Like you wait like right in the beginning of June, all of a sudden they just come up from the marsh and they're all over the place. And they, they microchip them and, and uh, you know, give them all numbers and whatever. And then they collect the eggs, the ones that aren't taken in broad daylight by like foxes and raccoons and birds. Mm-hmm. Right. And they incubate them and then they release them. Um, no head starting. They hatch and then they release so that they're not like learning to eat pellets or they're not exposed right. to anything in captivity. It's just hatch them out and they go on their way. And then the right. birds maybe don't get them the, the first 10 minutes because there's a bunch of people releasing them. But. You, you hope for the best, but uh, hopefully that's making a change but, for them. But Diamondbacks are incredible. They're, 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 they're kind of like a gateway turtle for a lot of people now. Like <laughs> you know, you know, turtle morphs, like uh, like albino raider sliders and stuff have been big for a long time, even though that market has crashed. And Diamondbacks are the same thing. Like you see a lot of people who are new to turtles really gravitating towards Diamondbacks and, and albino raider sliders and stuff because it's just a cooler version of what they know well. Yeah, those and Spotted's. Yeah, spotteds are. I mean, spotteds are the first species that I ever bred, and they're just they're just incredible. But they were listed in Connecticut in 2015. I probably could have tried to get grandfathered in, but I just I gave my group away when that happened. Mm-hmm. Actually, well, I I found a spotted turtle one time on the plantation that I was working at, and it blew my mind when I when I saw it. It was incredible. I'd never seen one before. But it was just, right? I like this little size. this little black turtle with just yellow polka dots all over mm-hmm. it. And it, I just, I thought it was the coolest thing. I'd never seen one before. I actually had to look it up because this was years ago. I didn't know turtles as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was the coolest thing. One of the cool to, to this day, one of the coolest finds I think I've I've come across. There's, and again, it's it's got freaking polka dots, but it hides so well. Yeah, it's, it's crazy, really incredible. Yeah, they go into water with kind of like the light coming down, and it's mm-hmm. just you know the rays of light coming down into the water, and they disappear. It was actually um, that same day I also found um, my first and only mud turtle. Oh, little, cool! Just a, like a little tiny one. You know, he was only you know that big, but it, I just I was he was in a ditch. I saw this little fucking thing swimming through the ditch. I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> Reached out and grabbed him up a little turtle. I was like, my God. Looks like a big beetle, a big water. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, there's a swimming around the dishes, uh, stirring up mud and stuff. It was cool. They're really cool. I, I, I do breed mud turtles and, um, I, I I enjoy them a lot. They get a little bit nasty to each other sometimes, but (laughs) yeah. Have you kept alligator snappers? I have. Yeah. I've never bred them. Uh, but I have one now that's kind of, it's the only turtle that doesn't have a job. Every turtle here has a job and that's to make more turtles. Um, the only, there's four animals here that don't have a job and that's three dogs and an alligator snapping turtle. I guess, I guess her job is to be an educational animal. So when we do educational talks and stuff like having an alligator snapper is, um, is a must have. And really just part of it is like, they're actually really cold tolerant. So mm-hmm. she lives outside during the warmer months. And then when it gets cold, I take her in and put her in the garage and she just sits in the garage at like 35 to 40 degrees and just sits there mm-hmm. and does nothing. So easy. I mean, what are your, what are your thoughts on, on keeping those in general? Like they're, they're easy. Like, like they're better than keeping a common snapping turtle, common snapping turtles, 
Really? You need more space, even though they're a bit smaller than, than really? snapping turtles generally. Yeah, because because common snapping turtles are like they've got a motor and they're just constantly motoring yeah. around. Where alligator snappers are, they're, they're ambush ambush predators where they're just kind of lie in wait with their mouth open and they use that little lure that they have in their mouth to to get fish to swim in their mouth. Um, so they move around less. Do they move around? Yes. So does that mean that they, you know, that they deserve more space? Yes. But they're not as active as um, as the commons. And commons are just messier too. Like an alligator yeah. snapping turtle is more likely to like grab a fish or a food item or whatever and then just swallow it down. Whereas a common snapping turtle will love to use its claws exactly to rip yeah. apart the food mm -hmm. and just makes a huge mess of everything. So I think from a captive keeping perspective, alligator snapping turtles, even a bigger one, is much easier to keep than than a common snapper. What, that's that's what, how, what I've been tempted with. Bill Bradley keeps tempting me. He's like, dude, I got one. How like, big how big of an enclosure does an adult sna alligator snapper need? Yeah, like? by the time you turn 80, how big of a <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They grow slow too. Common snappers grow fast. Alligator snappers are bigger, but they grow slow. Considering their adult size, they grow really slow. Right. So I have a friend who has like a 300-gallon stock tank who has a 117-pound alligator snapping turtle in it. And wow. it's lived in there for 30 years. It's Holy not God. enough for an animal that size, but it's not like it's been alive and well for for 30 years in there. So um, I think it deserves more. I think that it, it would do better in more space, but like they just don't do a whole lot. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I have a vision one day whenever I have like a, a building dedicated to reptiles, I want to I want to section off a big corner to make a massive alligator snapper enclosure I've always it's always been a, a thought of they're mine. awesome and the good news is like a lot of them don't get that big if you got a female i mean see here's the issue though everybody wants the big statement piece like you want the 117 pound yeah, one i really don't because <laughs> you know but i like like people you get oohs and ahs out of a little i don't know how much the one i have weighs maybe like 12 pounds small is she it's right. a small female but you know, when you pick them up, they open their mouth and they're just sitting there like all, you know, aggressive looking. Yeah, that's all I would want. I wouldn't want that massive 140 pound turtle, man. That's that's a big that's a big sucker. Yeah, it's it's a lot like I I, I go there to help my friend because I'm the guy who lifts up the snapping turtle and we have to move it around. <laughs> awesome. I don't mind at all. Like ruin my clothes, like claws could rip my pants, mud, muddy nastiness all over me. I don't care. Like it's the best. So do they um, need moving water? For some reason I was I I had read or something that, that they need some sort of flow. But everything I've seen as far as videos, it seems like they're in stagnant creeks that really aren't need is need is an interesting word. So they don't need <laughs> it, but I think they should have it. I think I think they get smelly and all the rest of it, but you can definitely do dump and fill or do some kind of like sump pump to change the water however often. But like I do think they'd be better with flowing water and, and filtration. But I mean, I've seen them in spots where they live for decades without it. So I don't yeah. think they need it, but I think I do think they deserve it. Yeah, I think I can only imagine how nasty that water could get just yeah. sitting stagnant, you know. Yeah. Turtle take poops bigger than a lot of animals. I'm just not big on water. 
yeah my biggest well. thing i don't i really don't like dealing with water it's a pain in the ass i've had fish before and this yeah I, I i'm a turtle like guy and i'll say the same thing yeah <laughs> like, like i started off with paint like catching painted turtles with my aunt like i said and then you know at a certain point i just realized like this is a lot filtration is tough like all of a sudden the filters back up and it's not working. Yeah, it's just I build my own filters with like a like a trickle system, like a five gallon bucket filled with media and everything, and then a, a pond pump to pump it up into the bucket, and then it trickles down. It works really well to keep the water clean, but it's a lot of work. Like like once a week I'm having to fix something that that got gunked up or whatever, and it's a lot, and that's time that I want to be spending, like weighing animals, doing health assessments, feeding them. Right. And all the other stuff that comes in goes into it. So when I see one of those things get backed up, it's really frustrating. Whereas the leaf turtles, they don't even need heat. Like they don't need any heat. You keep them in your basement. When they get down into the 50s, awesome. They go to sleep. When it's the summer and it's in the 80s and it's humid, it's perfect. Like they literally don't need any supplemental heat. You just keep them on some substrate and some leaf litter and if you can grow some lights, awesome. Grow some plants with the lights you have, awesome. But they don't need anything. They eat once a week, like it's it's perfect. The water turtles eat, you know, five times a week, and they and they crap up their water and ruin their filter, and you have to keep fixing everything. And are those what you're keeping in racks? The leaves? Uh, in the racks, I keep. So so the Spangler Eye apartment complex is open. So I, it's it's more of like. I don't know, a system with like these smaller enclosures that are kind of open, but yeah. in the racks I'm keeping. So like box turtles, terrestrial turtles, like box turtles. And I have a lot of like Asian box turtle species and stuff. When you have young animals like that or young leaf turtles, then like keeping in a snake rack with really shallow water and like some sphagnum moss is it's just second to none. They grow absolutely perfectly. Nice. Yeah. So do you keep do you keep more land turtles or water turtles? What do you what do you have more of? It's probably 50-50. 50-50 right down the road. Yeah. Right after. I have a pond outside that has like big cooters in it and um map mm -hmm. turtles and painted turtles. <laughs> but then outside I also keep a lot of box turtles and then inside it's also about 50-50. I gotcha. Yeah, it's it's weird. I don't know. Like I started with the water turtles and I really enjoy them. Um, there's some species that I just love and probably can't get rid of. So my goal is to build a, make a, a building outside, move some of the indoor aquatic turtles outdoors to a greenhouse. I got you. So that the water stuff is out, is mostly outside and then turn the inside building into like a warmer enclosure place for things like rhino clemmies, which are like South American wood turtles and, mm and tortoises and stuff like, cause I have some tortoises that need more heat, like pancake tortoises and star tortoises and stuff right. that are inside. So just trying to figure out, you know, where, where the warm weather stuff goes and where the cold weather stuff goes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's funny. My, uh, my parents have a, um, I was raised on five acres kind of out in the country over here in Beaufort. And, uh, we have a quarter acre pond, um, out there and now it, you know, we've, it's been there for, you know, 12, 13 years at this point. And the amount of turtles that have mm. 
started to pop up in that pond is just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I call them I call them my pet turtles, you know, because there's, <laughs> there's so many of them. They'll come up and eat the fish food and stuff whenever we go out and feed the fish. <laughs> but the the amount yeah, gonna, of them, yeah, they're all yellow belly sliders. It, yeah, it's crazy. Um, there's so many of them, but it's so cool to see like the different the different ages, you know, from the years, you know, you can, there's every year you see the little tinies pop up and you got some that are just slightly bigger than some that are a little bigger than the big tanks that are swimming around. And, you know, it's just generations of, of turtles in that pond. And I, I don't know, it's, it's so cool to see. I love seeing them pop up as soon as it gets warm out. And I just think it's cool. so cool because they're so long lived, you know, that like, yeah, here's the younger ones and everything, but like, that's th this big one that comes over. That's like, black because he's older and, mm -hmm. and he's become melanistic with age and like how old is that turtle is it 18 is it 40 is it right 60? i don't know any of those are possible like sliders live live for more than 60 years in captivity there's record of that so wow who knows you know um that's that's one of the cool things too because it's different like you build a pond stuff shows up yeah exactly mm -hmm. but turtles aren't necessarily one of those things that shows up unless it's like a big pond in like the right place you know but frogs and and things just kind of show up on their own right? oh yeah no we get toads and everything else by the the thousands you know mm -hmm. it's you know it's the turtle the turtles are the ones i pay attention attention to more than anything we rarely we've only had one gator come into the pond before which is weird after having it for so long we've only had the one mm -hmm. um but the turtles man i've loved watching them over the years just every year it's just more and more it seems like and i don't know it's it's super cool to see them just populate and grow in the, in this pond and it's not a big pond it's only a quarter acre you know so it's easy to you know see everything you know as a whole and watch everything develop i don't know it's fun it's cool it sounds like a big pond to me but quarter acre and i would take it that's what i wanted when we were looking for a house that's that's what i wanted it's like yeah i really want a separate building i really want a pond and this had neither so but it, it has <laughs> they put on an addition and and when they did that they they for some reason opted to spend like an extra five thousand bucks and add a second basement that's separate from the house so at our old house like we had our basement, that's where laundry was and stuff, and that's where the turtles were. So when wifey needed to go down and do some laundry or something, like if I went down and did some laundry, who cares? If it smells down there or whatever, it's it's my issue. But when she has to go down, it's like, all right, she's in a turtle room now when she's trying yeah. to do laundry, you know? And here, though, because it, this was done as part of an add-on, you can only get there from outside. So it's, it's like a bomb shelter type thing. Oh, okay, um, I got you, yeah. And I kind of reinforced everything with um, security and, and all the rest of it. But like, it's, it's cool that it's separate from everything else so that, you know, it's, it's a basement, which is great because it doesn't freeze and it doesn't overheat in the summer. It's kind of that nice buffer, but it's, you still get seasons, um, which is great for so many of the turtle species. But uh, I would have enjoyed a big building, I think, too. So yeah. now I have to build one and I had to put in my own pond, so. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Super cool. Well, where are we at? I'm trying Should to we, bring up the. What are you bringing up? This, I'm, I was going to bring up the Turtle Room website. Oh, sweet. But my. Oh, there we go. Turtle Room, where turtle nerds 
gather. We have some cool stuff. Let me tell you about a couple cool things. Can I? Yeah, absolutely. We have a database that's better than what zoos use that was actually built by us, FUBU, for us, by us. And we, <laughs> we have a version that we use that's, that's really FUBU. But then we also have an, a version that's available to um, the public. It's called Digital Colonian Log. And you can um, have up to 25 animals there for in there listed in there for free and you can kind of track their data and all the rest of it and you could see like these these really awesome like graphs to see their growth so like if i have a, a project i'm working on and i have 10 animals and they're all different ages and i've raised them all i can look and see okay this one that i have that's two years old how does it stack up against this 10 year old animal eight years ago when it was the mm -hmm. same age and I can actually see like the growth rates and where they, where they, you know, where they stack up to one another, which is just incredible. Um, so it's really great interactive. Um, there's the leaf turtles that we talked about. Okay. And then also there's like, there's an interactive map as well, where you can go and click on any um, country in the world, any state in the U S <laughs> and who species are native there, uh, which is really cool. And there's just, yeah, there's just a lot. And then obviously it talks about the work that we do as well. And then there's some, uh, what you're going through now is like natural history information and, and stuff like that. And, and um, different uh, resources we've created like writing and stuff so that people can, can learn about their favorite species. We don't have stuff on everything, but um, quite a few things that we've. That I just, I love man, how disappointed got, they look. You've got me sold on these leaf turtles, man. These <laughs> things are freaking cool. And I, didn't nothing know, cool. I didn't know they climb. That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. There's nothing cool. There's climb. nothing cool. I mean, they're turtles, right? So they're not going to climb onto a, like, like onto a, a branch. Oh, yeah. yeah. But like, if you do like a cork background, like you do on those like nice planted Vavaria, you know, mm. like, um, yeah. You could, you know, buy from like, oh, what the hell is the place? Is it Black Jungle? Is that a thing? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or like New England Herpeticulture, whatever. You buy like the whole kit with like the cork background. You're going to make your own vivarium with the background. Like they'll mm -hmm. climb all. I built one of those with, with all that stuff, black silicone and all the rest of it. And they climb all the way up to the top of the cage, just wow. kind of, you know, doing their thing. But that's kind of part of their... Uh, natural history is to kind of get up like onto a log or whatever and kind of survey around and see mm -hmm. look for females look for food these, sort of are, these are cool too those are really cool i, I breed for yeah, four eyed turtles cool. and my partner steve does as well two different, two different oh species. that's i was about to say why are they called four eyed turtles they glasses. Yeah. that's yeah. so cool man really really cool Wow. So those are an aquatic species though. They are. Yeah. Yeah. And they come from, um, from like the cold water moving streams, um, in China wow. where, where they're, um, it's just kind of a unique habitat. China. Yeah. I was having a discussion with one of our regulars at work today. Cause he comes in almost daily. And so he asked me about all the reptile stuff all the time. And we got on the con on the on the topic of like India and stuff and how badly <laughs> I want to go to the Western Ghats and mm. like I started talking about China and China is just such an underrated area of the world when it comes to herpetofauna. Mm -hmm. You know, and talking to to uh, Doctor Messenger and stuff about all the different snakes. Like China's climbed to the top of my my list as far as bucket list herping. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. No, I, I'll tell you a story. My my. Um, I was asked to go because, you know, to 
so I like to go herping when I can go to someone else's project and like spend the day with them. Like, I don't want to be a researcher and spend every day right. in the tick infested wilderness. Like I'm, I'm a people person. So, but I do enjoy getting out with the people and picking their brain and kind of seeing what they see. It's just wonderful. But, but I got, I was asked to partake in a trip to China that would have been like the craziest thing ever for me, uh, which was to be a, a speaker at this big uh, turtle expo that they have there. And uh, basically all expense paid trip to go and give a presentation, including like trips out to their turtle farms. Uh, this is the, the what you're what you're going through right now for those who are watching the the um, uh, the visual broadcast here is is our work in in situ with um, wood turtles, North American wood turtles, which are a beautiful species. Wow. Um, they're awesome. They're so awesome. And then, and then this really starts to to make you think like, all right, we're keeping these animals in captivity. Like we really need to do a good job. Like I had a friend of mine contact me, like I've got these, this wood turtle pair and they're just not breeding. I'm like, all right, well, how are you keeping them? We're keeping them in a 40 breeder aquarium together. Like these, these turtles, like constantly we will have them on transmitters. I'll go out with people who are using transmitters and they're like, they're climbing this like the sides of mountains like mountain ridges like and coming back down at different times of the year to breed or to or to lay eggs or like or going back up to hibernate like their lives are so complicated and they're all over the place like to keep them together in a 40 gallon like that would be like like putting us together in a trunk and expecting us to live harmoniously like it's just like like the back I of can do it like I don't know. Like for a ten minute ride, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty big, but <laughs> like that just it starts to kind of really inform your your thought process with that. Uh, so back to my China story. So I was I was asked to go and be a uh, speaker, and my wife was like, "No, it's not happening." This was September 2019. So I ended up giving it to my friend who went and had the time of his life presenting. <laughs> it was like, hey, I can't go, but like, here, my friend will go. And, and basically because my wife, Shannon, bless her heart, my, my better half truly was like, you will always say everything is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Like you can go next year. Well, next year, because this was in Shanghai, by the way, which is right next to Wuhan, China. Mm -hmm. So we know what happened next year. So there was yeah. no China trip. Um, it'll happen eventually. I'll go. Uh, we're, we now have a new project um, that we're doing with with these leaf turtles and also flowerback box turtles in the wild uh, to actually uh, do some some work to to help conserve them and, and kind of figure out what's going on with populations there. So um, there's there's still a chance for me that I'll get to China at some point, but it certainly hasn't happened yet. And I don't even know if I really want to. Like, I don't know if I'm going to fit on the plane, but we'll see. It's all, <laughs> that's living, right? I don't know. Yeah. You'll make it happen, man. Got to. We'll see. We'll see. These are the hingeback tortoises, Jake. Yeah. So it's cool. You know, we started off as people like, like we were like, man, we're not biologists. And, and that really kind of hurt our feelings a little bit for whatever reason. We were feeling like, gosh, we really feel like we have a lot to offer. We're college educated. We're smart. We, we want to do the right thing. There's got to be something like that we can do. And the turtle room was really our, our opportunity to, to do that. Oh, wow, guy. that picture's old now. 
My Colonia personality of the year. I had more hair. I can I tell you something? Those reptile report awards, I know everybody and their mother hated them, but I loved them so much. I didn't think they were that bad. Me and even before I won magazine ones. I just I I just think that that's so positive. Like if you can give someone like a like a hey good job, like I I mean I I do understand the the like the the fact that it becomes a a bit of like a popularity contest. I get that Mm -hmm. and that's not the best thing, but go measure your dick somewhere else, buddy. You know, I don't know. (laughs) I just I thought it was great. And then there were people like who they, you know, like readers or or whatever would like choose and like Chris Leone who was up there as well who's been one of our directors and and runs Garden State Tortoise he uh he would win every year like the the reader's choice or whatever which i think is kind of lame but <laughs> whatever he would say it's kind of lame too cuz he's kind of lame do you <laughs> so from everything i understand china and i guess japan like turtle keeping over there is huge yeah yeah do you know why like is there any particular reason that it's taken off so much over there china and japan are very different and they actually have different taste in turtles but it's kind of like it's kind of like fashion and whatever ends up being like the must-have at that given time ends up being whatever just like explodes and and we saw like um the kwangtung river turtle or what us Americans uh, prefer more, the common name, the redneck pond turtle. That that species was thought to be extinct for decades. And then they rediscovered them in animal markets in like the 80s. They brought a bunch over here to the US and then they were just like gone again. Well, then they started being produced in the US. So you talk about like, you know, captive breeding in the private sector, like this species was literally saved by captive breeding. And then the folks in China, where the species was native, was native, uh, realized, wow, we really want the species back for our breeding programs. And they're not on CITES or whatever. So they started buying them back and the price went through the roof. This is a turtle that you could not sell for $35, like a hatchling. 30 bucks, couldn't sell them. The price went up to $2,500 almost overnight. This is around 2015 for hatchlings for hatchlings, $2,500. And people who had been breeding them just because they liked the species, like got money to like put their kids through college because they're a really fecund species. They produce a lot. And by 2017, 2018, it had totally bottomed out again. And guess what? Today they're a $35 turtle again. So it can be very, right? Totally built on this artificial... um, this this artificial i don't know like demand that really wasn't based on much of anything it's just kind of like a fad uh and they got them for their uh everybody just decided they needed them for their uh turtle breeding operations and and turtle farms and and they took them back so uh really it all starts with china china became a a vacuum for the world for really for Southeast Asian turtles. It started just with China and their own turtles and all of them became, I mean, there were turtles that were going extinct before we knew they existed. Mm-hmm. And then they became a vacuum for all those surrounding countries like Vietnam and, and Cambodia and Laos and, and India and, and all the rest of it. So, 
um, a lot of those species became really, really endangered. And, you know, uh, I mean, so there's species that are extinct in the wild or functionally extinct in the wild that people don't even really want to keep in captivity. So there, there's a couple species like that that I keep, like the Vietnamese pond turtle, which is a really cool species and is a, a, a cousin of that. Uh, it's in the same genus as um, the redneck pond turtle, the quang tongue turtle I was talking about. But that's another species that's, you know, extinct in the wild and nobody wants to keep. Their price went up too around 2016 to like 850 for a hatchling. But now you can't give them away really. But people still buy, you know, albino radiator sliders and stuff like that, which are yeah. all over the place, but they're just albino. Because everyone wants to be able to say they have something rare. Yep. There's some red-eared sliders in the pond up the street. Yeah. I've got probably 60 of them in my pond. But red-eared? are they head for albino? Oh, not red-eared. Not red-eared. I no. doubt it. That's the question. Are they het for greatness? No, they're they're het for normal, just the way I like them. Good old <laughs> natural South Carolina radio sliders. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of oxymorons, I do want pancakes. I think eventually. I don't. Pancakes there's great. stuff I want, man. They've gotten more valuable lately, so you'll spend more now than you would have in years past. But pancakes are great. They grow pretty fast. They they don't generally beat the crap out of each other like some other tortoises do, and they're small. So mm-hmm. like a nice-sized pancake tortoise is six inches, and they're obviously not high-domed big tortoises. They're pancake tortoises, so um, they're not that bad. And they like to – you know, my, my pancakes – they sit in the rocks, you know, and for anyone who doesn't know, like they, they, they could, they take in air and they kind of expand their bodies. So they go into these little rock crevices and then they, they, they inhale and they kind of hold that air in and, and you can't pull them out of the rocks. No, I didn't so know that. When you're keeping So when you feel, when you actually hold a pancake tortoise, they are extremely soft in the middle. It's what, it's oh. really cool. They're harder on the edges, like a tortoise, like you'd expect. Yeah. Or harder, like like not maybe not as as firm as a normal tortoise, but super pliable in the middle. Like like more than even though I'm saying this, like to to feel it is to be like holy crap, that, he wasn't joking. Um, and they spend all their time in those rock crevices, kind of hiding out. Mm-hmm. And uh, once once kind of food is there or what have you, they'll come out and and eat as a group, and then they'll kind of go back in, and they just kind of do their thing. So like. They're healthy. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They just, you know, they're not the type that just motors around all the time. Yeah. Am I wrong in thinking that those really haven't been in the private sector that long? Um, for some reason, when I was a kid, I feel like there was only a couple of zoos that had them. And I mean, we're yeah, that was more of like a zoo species, late nineties, early two thousands kind of thing. That, in my mind, that was a zoo species too. Like I would have freaked out if I saw one at like, I lived, when I was in college, I lived at um, in, in Providence and, and there was a place called Regal Reptiles that did a lot of importing. Mm-hmm. I would have freaked out if I saw a pancake tortoise there, but they had like leaf turtles and stuff, like really cool stuff at that time. But um, I would have freaked out if I saw a pancake tortoise. So it's not something that I saw um in collections very often but i think they've been there and the people like you know the 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 ogs of of the tortoise world had them all along but um there's definitely a lot more of them now they've been produced a lot 
They grow quickly. There's a lot of captive bred ones. You see captive bred ones for sale, even captive bred adults all the time. You can tell they're usually bumpy because um, they're 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 not as smoothly grown when they're in captivity. But uh, is yeah. that because like what's the what's the reasoning for that? Uh, generally, it's a combination, and this is for tortoises. This is a generalization across the board. It's generally true for tortoises across the board. Is when you keep them really humid. Like the, the, a lot of people would like to, historically to keep tortoises in like tortoise tables and stuff. That's totally open. Mm-hmm. It's way too dry. Wooden enclosures. Like if you're keeping a tortoise the right way, a wooden enclosure, I mean, depending on what type of wood you're keeping, but if you're just keeping like a regular wooden enclosure, it should rot if you're keeping the tortoises the right way. Cause there should be a lot of humidity in there. So really the right way to keep a lot of tortoises is cl- especially when they're young is closed chamber enclosures. So that that humidity is really high and, and you're like spraying down some sphagnum moss inside a hide too. So they have like a really moist hide to go into as well. And so it's that coupled with diet. Sometimes if, if you're giving a tortoise uh, a diet that's like too rich in protein, then they can grow unevenly that way as well. Hmm. But mo- it's yeah. mostly humidity. Yeah. But I mean, even for like the desert species, because yeah. I mean, the pancakes are, are, are pretty, I won't necessarily say desert, but arid. Yeah, for sure. You know, are they just taking advantage of like the microclimates and the yeah. and these, these rocks and stuff? Yeah. I mean, like for, for a lot of these species, like being out in the open, especially when they're young, being out in the open mm-hmm. is a death sentence. That's right. They're just, they're prey animals. Like they're going to be picked off. They're slow. If something sees them, they're, they're dead. You know, I talked about box turtles and keeping them in racks, like stress kills. Like people think you'll see a lot of people on like the Facebook groups and stuff saying, and I know it's across the board, across all of her pediculture, people who are trying to be helpful, like get some UVB on those things. Like, no, like bright light is not important at that life stage. What's important is being able to hide. Like scientific study is completely devoid of information on hatchling box turtles. It's just doesn't exist because researchers don't find them because they just sit in muck they live in yeah. you know like at the bottom of a pond like that nasty smelly sulfur smelling leaves and they're all black and nasty like the spot where the, those leaves exist where it's not underwater is where those box turtles are they're like I've sitting down maybe one in out in the you know, right i've seen adults yep scarcely at least here on the island that we live on yep. i've seen a couple of adults but they're not terribly common but i've never seen anything smaller yeah. than an adult Yep. It's not like with snapping turtles or painted turtles where you'll see them sometimes they're on land Mm -hmm. or whatever they're doing their thing. Box turtles, you don't see wood turtles, which we do work. If you like the researchers will tell you if they find a a hatch and these are really talented field people who do it all day long. Like they, they, they're as good with, you know, the wilderness, identifying species, finding animals, like as I am with like diffusing conflict at work. Like the, <laughs> the, the corny stuff that I really enjoy doing, um, they'll tell you they never find hatchlings ever. If they find a hatchling, it's like a horse of a different color, and they're freaking out and they're like calling their friends and sending pictures to everyone because they can't believe they found a hatchling. You find a, a, a pre- reproductive adult that's sixty years old, and it's like, oh, good, but you find a hatchling and it's like crazy. So, so that's why like you don't put bright light on them. You don't, you know, you don't keep everything open. That's, the that's a death sentence, right? Like they, they feel like they're going to be picked off by a bird and they're just spending the entire time freaking mm-hmm. out. Is you there know? like an ontogenetic shift in terms of like diet and habitat? 
yeah like, uh, like, start out eating certain things and then shift over you know as you yeah some piece some people will you know maybe differ in opinion on when is the appropriate time to do it uh, like with the leaf turtles i do it sometimes i've done it as early as like six months just to try and then other ones i've kept in water even though they're a terrestrial species i'll raise them in really shallow water with sphagnum that's like super duper wet and then you could just drop pellets in like they're aquatic turtles and they'll just eat it off the top of the shallow water and it's so shallow that if they flip over they won't it won't be an issue or anything um i'll keep them sometimes six months sometimes two or three years and they you know it's i think starting them aquatically is really important and as long as you can keep them like that then they're going to grow really fast and and perfectly and is that um, just for hide from the hydration aspect yeah and i think diet too like i think having them what a lot of people like to do is they keep them terrestrial and they want to feed them worms mm -hmm. and other invertebrates which is great but um you see much better growth and faster growth if you keep them really wet and you feed them like um, a diet with a staple of like a high quality pellet because now it's like a dog food. Like the best thing you can feed your dog is a scientifically formulated dog food that's high quality mm -hmm. because now they're getting a balanced diet just from that one food. Not saying give a turtle one food because that's part of the fun and also they thrive on variety. They're They're like they're strict omnivores, like in every sense, they could eat anything, um, as in moderation, right? Yeah. Like us, but, uh, supplementing a pellet diet is a, a pellet staple diet is, is the best way to go. And they grow. So then the issue becomes, okay, this thing is growing too fast. It's almost adult size after one year. Like now I'm going to cool it over the winter and, or move it to terrestrial so that it like, kind of shocks its system a little bit where now it's going to go off feed for mm -hmm. a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And just knowing like if this turtle doesn't eat in two months, I'm not that worried about it. Like it's going to come around because right. it's got good weight to it and good size now and that sort of thing. The transition is always a little bit of a shock, but you learn over time that it's okay. Yeah. Don't, don't care them to death. Yeah. 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 It's man, it's wild. Just the more species that I, you know, I, I read and hear about, the more I realize like ontogenetic shifts, not even just in like color and stuff, but just in habits and diet mm -hmm. is so much more common than, than maybe a lot of people realize. It's part of like, you know, uh, ad adapting to their environment and using mm -hmm. their environment. Right. I love, I love when I hear like the, the rack, no rack debate on the snake side. Cause then a lot of people will talk about like life stages. Like, no, yeah. I think like, you'd be stupid not to keep your hatchlings in a rack. And I completely agree. I'm not against snake racks at all, but I think there are some people on the turtle side who are like, who is this schmuck telling people to keep turtles in a rack? Right. So but at the same time, I mean, if it's working and you're seeing results and you're not having, you know, mass die offs or anything, you know, like that, then clearly something's working. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. I think, and again, like it's the stress. Like if you, cause if I have a hatchling rack that has 16 slots and otherwise I'd be keeping them in four tubs with four animals per tub, but now I can keep them individually. Mm -hmm. Like that alone is huge because they do small ones get scared and stop eating. They, they bite each other's tails off. Oh really? Jeez. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you'll have animals that just die. Like, Oh, I don't know. That one just died. Failure to thrive. Well, guess what? If you have them in 16 tubs and you can actually see who's eating or not early on, then you can, you know, 
which is what you guys do with snakes, then you can see, okay, I'm going to need to force feed this one a rat tail or so, or a mouse tail or whatever, whatever you guys do. Like that's, that's really helpful. And, mm-hmm. and I think it can be for a lot of turtle people too. They're just, um, most aren't using racks yet. I think they will. I mean, it's definitely not an approach I would have thought to take, but I'm also not a, not a big turtle guy. So it took a lot. You know what I was doing? I was keeping, I was starting to breed more and more of these turtles and mm-hmm. I was keeping them in like little clear tubs. Like, like I was playing like enclosure Tetris with these little like starlight boxes, individual like, boxes. Yeah. Stacking them all on top of each other and like running a heat cable through them and like trying to make sure they were the right temperature and everything. And then eventually it was like, this is a, like, this is the world's worst attempt at a snake rack type thing where like you're keeping them really high humidity with artificial heat and keeping them as separate as possible and as stress-free as possible. So the only thing I do is I'll either hang a light in front or I'll set up a light kind of like a spotlight that shines towards the rack with clear tubs so that they get ambient day and light. Mm -hmm. They don't need bright light. They just need to know it's daytime Yeah, and it's nighttime. Yeah. So something to think about if you're a turtle breeder out there and you breed box turtles, I think you should have a snake rack. It's just, it just makes it so much easier. I think I, I do recall hearing people talk about how difficult hatchling box turtles seem to be. Yep. And it's probably because they were doing it, you know, the, the, the way you were talking about just yep. kind of the opposite of you're going the wrong way. Yep. Yeah, they think like, oh man, it's not, it's not like there's not enough UVB. I need, I need to get more UV or okay. it's diet related or whatever. It's like, nope, separate those damn things, get them away from each other, scaring each other. They're not communal animals. Like, like I like to say, like turtles on a log, right? Well, they must like each other, right? Well, do people at a bus stop like each other? Like, no, they're there for the resource, right? That's a good analogy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't like the person who I'm standing next to in the UPS line, but if an alien was looking at us, we'd be like, look at this, a, a gathering of of a family. A of party. Like each- yeah, right, a party. Yeah. Like, no, I'm standing in line of UPS. This sucks. Try not to catch COVID right now. Like, I, the last thing I want to do is be standing next to this person in line. And I think it's the same way for them, too. Like, it's, it's actually a stressful thing to be up on a log next to another turtle, not knowing if it's going to knock you off the log or not. <laughs> So Do you find certain species need UV more than others. Yeah. Yeah. Those sun worshipers who, who use the log like that. Yes. Yeah. Um, even at young ages, like the sliders and the painted turtles and the cooters and stuff like that, they need, they need the UVB and they need the, the light more at a, at an early age as well. Um, but the box turtles that are just hiding for their first couple of years, mm-hmm. they, they need to be able to feel like they're hiding and not like, you know, the reptile industry creates these hides, right? Like the, like the, the coconut shaped hide or the yeah. hide that looks like a turtle shell, or whatever. And they're always like built up. Like, but I think certain species need to actually feel in like, like would a blanket help if it was six feet off your bed suspended above you? Like, no, like you want to, you want to be wrapped in that blanket and actually feel like you're wrapped up. I think a lot of these species, that's something that we don't think about too. Like there's a difference between like a, a hide and a, and I don't know, like a shelter or like, so that's why I use a lot of sphagnum moss for hatchlings too. Cause mm-hmm. and then I might put like a half of a plastic plant hide as well. So you have like a hide where they can really go under and it's opaque and they're hidden, but you can also go into the sphagnum where you're like hiding among the sphagnum and could like jump on an isopod or whatever that gets thrown in there. So. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned that too. Cause Phil got some uh, mountain Kings in Daytona 
And I think initially he was having issues with them getting to eat, which I mean, they're, they're mountain Kings. So it's kind of a, kind of comes with the territory, but uh, I think it might've been Rob Stone, maybe Matt Most. Someone recommended that he just take mm-hmm. uh, the, the cardboard tubes from paper towels or toilet paper, or whatever. Yeah. And put, like rip those up into pieces and lay them on top of each other, you know? So it's not yep. like a, a regular hide, but it's just a bunch of little sort of, yeah. slits and crevices and he noticed a yeah. difference when he did that like leaves yeah 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 it, i, I mean funny. like that, for, that for whatever reason that was like the the trick that was what helped i don't know if this is a turtle guy thing because i think some may may still keep things in like relatively um sterile environments but i will go out in the fall and collect like that's when my turtles inside get leaves i'll go out and collect a bunch of turtles and a bunch of turtles a bunch of leaves and bring them into the turtles and just throw them over the terrestrial turtles and they just live in the leaf litter like i probably i don't know how many ticks i've brought into my house but like i i I, it's it's just a huge benefit you see their behavior change when the leaves fall they're just Mm -hmm. they're more confident they're moving around the enclosure now now they're using different spots because it's covered in leaf litter as opposed to they were using the hide before Mm -hmm. like that's that's naturalistic. They should be, they, you know, the, a lot of the species I keep, they're leaf turtles. They don't burrow. Like if you see a turtle that's shaped like a leaf, it doesn't burrow. It, it sits yeah, in. It doesn't leaf. really have to. <laughs> right. Whereas a lot of the box turtles that are just round, those are those are species that will actually dig down and maybe like stick their head out. But leaf turtles want to sit in leaves. And it's it's funny how many people don't necessarily provide like a lot of leaf litter but they want a lot of leaf litter like if you're walking through in the winter when there's not a lot of snow on the ground and there's just these deciduous fallen leaves everywhere and you're like going through them and they're like up to your knees like that's what they want to live in Mm -hmm. so and i'm sure a lot of snakes you know are the same way oh yeah you know yeah i mean that's that's natural history i think is uh, someone i was talking to uh someone who started listening to the show not that long ago and she was uh, asking about, you know, information for care on certain stuff and whatnot. And I told her, I was like, like the care sheets are great and all, but if you can find papers on natural history, I feel like those. Yes. So much more information that you yes. can take stuff from and adapt to than care sheets could, could possibly give you. It's like, Absolutely. that's a nice little sort of framework for that. But I think to go and find information on, you know, rainfall, humidities, temperatures, habitats, getting ideas of pictures uh, of those habitats and, you know, how these people that are actually out doing the research on them are finding them and then finding some way to replicate that as best as you can. You know, Absolutely. Reason. I think that's that's infinitely more valuable than than a just a simple care sheet breakdown. I think Zach Lofman would call that the fun part. That's the yeah. fun part. Yeah. Like, yeah, like care sheet is important to see. But everyone needs to understand that it's the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that's like, hey, here's how I kept my animals alive. Hey, here's what I did to get them to breed. Awesome. That's really important to know. But I want to know what's their micro habitat like? What What's the annual rainfall? What's the annual temperatures? Mm-hmm. What are the pictures of the habitat look like? You know, what's happening with like the secondary forest and all the rest of it, if that's where they're living? And, and yeah, all of that talk to people who have seen them in the wild, see them in the wild yourself. That'll give you a respect for species that you've never Mm -hmm. had before. I I could just say with the wood turtles, like I've seen the, they're native here and they're protected. So I'll never keep them. But if I could, I would really think about how I would keep them because I've actually tracked them and I've seen, I'll go out this weekend and it's in the, 
it's it's in the creek and then i go out the next weekend and it's climbed a mountain and we can't find the damn thing um i, I swear i almost gave myself a heart attack climbing this ridge every time i would go out for this one <laughs> turtle and the researcher just started calling her anthony's girlfriend we're, go oh, we're gonna go see your girlfriend um because she would climb the ridge every time and I'd be like damn it she's up there again and here we go climbing up this ridge and like i did not sign up for this i just came out for yeah. like they're on trans transmitters this is supposed to be like an easy day in the field like i want i want to see a couple turtles go get a chicken parm sandwich and call it a day and now i'm climbing a freaking mountain with this guy who's just like this amazing field person by by the way who's like 40 years older than me and i can't keep up with him so like it's it's just grueling work for the researchers out there. But when you actually get to see what they do and see what the animals do, it totally changes your, your approach to how to keep them in captivity. And um, it's, it just, I don't know. It's, it gives you a respect for them that you won't get just looking at classified ads all day. Definitely. Know? They're more than just a turtle that could like fit in a, or an animal that could fit in whatever enclosure they, they have a natural history. You, you learn know. so much from those, you know, those papers and stuff too. It's, uh, yeah. you know, like chondros, that's, that's the example I use for everything, but you know, people saying they need to be kept warm. They need to be kept humid. And it's like, they really don't, you know, they're finding mm -hmm. them in the ambush position at night in the fifties in yep. some of those higher ranges. It's like, yep. we don't need to keep them at 86 constantly. Like yep. They can handle more than we're giving them credit for. They can get cooler. They can be fed. Think, less. About the fine. Think about the effect that that can have on an animal, right? They're living in the fifties as part of their natural, you know, their natural history. Mm -hmm. But now you're going to keep them at 86 all the time. Like, yeah, Oh my God. Confusing. Keep me at 86 all the time. Like, I don't think I can make it. Hell no. You know, but I mean, even the stuff in even South Florida gets super cold, like mm -hmm. everywhere. I mean, not everywhere, but most everywhere gets cold at times. And the, the animals, they they evolve to to deal with that. I'll, I'll give you one example on that. Most, I shouldn't say most, a lot of people who do like box turtle rehabilitation and stuff, they see hibernation as an unnecessary stressor. Mm -hmm. I see it as a natural part of their biology yeah. and something that's become part of them. And that uh, if you deprive them of that, that you're, that you're depriving them of something that keeps them healthy. And yes, an animal that has like a pre-existing situation, underlying issue you didn't know about may die during hibernation, but that doesn't mean the hibernation killed that animal. That's just when animals tend to die. Right. Uh, when, when that time is coming or whatever, but the reason why I feel that way, and I think most people who keep and breed animals would agree, is that there are several species, including box turtles and leaf turtles and Asian box turtles and, and all sorts of different species that, that will not breed readily, if at all, most of the time, not at all, if they're not cooled during the winter, if they don't have a cool period to, to start to reset. And uh, there was an interesting, Zach had an interesting um, brumation uh, episode on his his show. Yeah, and I need to listen to that, that again. Yeah, and it's like for, for different reasons, you know, the females and the males need to for different reasons. And uh, yeah, so I think like those, the rehabbers who aren't necessarily thinking about breeding could learn something from those of us who are kind of hanging their hat on their breeding um, uh, efforts and successes, you know, that like mm -hmm. this is an important part of them being healthy. It, it's, it's, it doesn't mean everything, but generally if an animal breeds, it's healthier than an animal that you're trying to breed that won't breed. 
yeah. some like something's going right if you're able, especially if it's one of those challenging species. So I have to tell myself, you know, they're they've been doing this for millions of years. If if they couldn't handle it, they'd all be dead. Yeah, right. They can handle it, and I think they need it. So. All right. Well, we're over two hours. Uh, That's good, right? Yeah, man. Where can people get a hold of you? I always try. Listen, do me a favor, okay? I've made efforts for the past like year plus to have an Instagram and a Facebook that people follow, and I am horrible at it. So if you want like a daily turtle picture, follow me on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, it's just my name because nobody else has my name, Anthony Pierleone on Instagram and Facebook. I would love that. And if you have turtle related questions or, or want to just talk turtles, reach out anytime. I'm, I'm always happy to chat. Awesome. Are you taking in unwanted red-eared sliders? Um, <laughs> no, I do not have a good recipe for them yet. <laughs> I mean, place to keep them at this point. Did I say recipe? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't do any rescuing really, unless you're like, Hey, I have this. Leaf turtle. Know, yeah, I have this leaf turtle that I've had for 25 years that I got at Regal Reptiles when you were in college, and I've had yeah. it this whole time. Um, I've, I've rescued a couple of Western pond turtles recently. That is a species that I keep and that I bred for the first time this year. That was some crazy one-off thing. It was two separate people in two different parts of the country happened to have a female Western pond turtle that happened to be the same as the group that I have. It was the weirdest oh, wow. thing because they're, they're rarely kept. It's, mm -hmm. It was just the weirdest like happenstance. So do I rescue? Yes, but extremely rarely and only if other, but I mean, I, I'm happy to play turtle matchmaker. So if you have something that needs rescuing, sometimes I can, I can help find a home for it. Yeah. It, just not with me. Cool. Yeah. Awesome, man. We pre really appreciate you coming on. This was a great episode filled with a lot of information. And uh, I think a lot of people will enjoy it. it so well, without we, a we doubt, definitely appreciate it. Not be the last. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, anytime. I'm always happy to collaborate with you guys. I really appreciate it. I love what you guys are doing. I, I, I should take a lot of notes and I am on, on your professionalism and how you, how you set all this up. I love it. Thank you. I really do. Appreciate it, man. Thank yeah. you. <clears throat> and the branding and everything. I mean, as professionalism, I mean, I mean, you know, you're not overly professional, but I mean, you are professionals. Does that make sense? We, that's what we, we that's what we aim for. We, we like to yeah. we, we, we walk try. that fine line. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't mean you're unprofessional, but I mean like you are professionals. The way that you you put all this together and package it and 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 all of that, it's it's very impressive. We're formally informal. I like that. Uh, oh, what is it? Delightfully tacky yet unrefined. That's Hooters. <laughs> Sorry, that's not you guys. We're like the the equivalent of the the shirts that have the tuxedo on them. Ah, <laughs> yes. No, man, because then we're yeah. just douchebags. It got louder. <laughs> Apparently, it got louder. I, I tasted ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Mr. Gardock, you just leave us alone. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I got a stomach full of white dog crap in me. Now you pull this shit on me? <laughs> Thanks, guys. Two hours in. Now you do that. But, uh, thank you. I hope people get the references, too. I'm that's, sure they will. If you're an American and you haven't watched that movie, then what are you doing? Yeah, it's true. It's true. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate you. Keep up the thank good you. work. Appreciate, appreciate you. It. Thanks for coming on. 
This was episode 147 brought to you by blackboxcages.com. Please check them out. Racks cages um, of all shapes and sizes. Give them a, give them a, a like on the Facebook and the Instagrams. Um, and then Steve Snakeshore and his Venom Hot Sauce. Grab some. Help Steve with public outreach, rescues, relocations, and more. Uh, we will be back Monday night at 9 for Snakes and Stogies 105. Uh, I think Rob Stone is supposed to join us again. I don't know for sure. We'd have Rob on every week on all the shows if we could, because mm -hmm. he's the man. Um, and maybe we can convince Matt Most to join us too. I don't know. We'll see. But um, thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening.